Hello guys, welcome to the Pulsifier Paddock Podcast. It has been a minute. Um, yeah, I've been a pleb, been moving home. I've fortunately starved everyone of John's presence. I'm, I do apologise. <laughs> um, no one is asking you to apologise for that. Well, you know, okay, apology rescinded. It's fine. <laughs> um, yeah, it's been a, it's been a while. Uh, been away, th- moving home. You've had real world stuff going on. It's just been a busy period. However, we're back and we're playing catch up. And uh, we left off. What did we leave off after Hungary? Was the last time we 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 had the podcast? No, we did spa, before. didn't we? Oh, we did spa. Of course, we did spa. Yes, and then we had um, uh, yes, Zanvor, which was due to be done however everything kind of happened but here we are here we are to talk about it and there isn't really too much to say about Zanvor. it was really much a bore fest uh, <laughs> in my opinion anyway there's a few little highlights in there um a I, few <laughs> I, I was generally i i was pleased to be on point with my predictions which is because it was the first time we'd run there i said we'd see mm. some medium sized some fairly big accidents in practice with people pushing and getting used to the camber and we did there was a fair fair few accidents in practice mm. um and then the last big accident i remember during the qualifying would have been george russell binning it in the penultimate turn because he yes. just he just got that tiny bit too greedy on the curb and the back got yep. away from him. And he was incredibly lucky because yes. he, he stuck it in the wall, drove it out mm-hmm. as if it was nothing. And then after yep. the red flag, Latifi did something similar a bit <laughs> yes. earlier in the track. And that was yes, qualifying done. Yeah, that was that was a huge one from Latifi. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, yeah, not a good day for the Williams boys. Um, pretty costly for him as well. Uh, considering in, what is it now? So if we're talking present day... George Russell scored points in three out of the last four races, which is yeah. remarkable. I, you, I wouldn't have wrote that at the beginning of the season, but there you go. Um, but yeah, some big ones. Sainz, he binned his Ferrari in yeah. the uh, early turn. Um, that was pre-practice out. three, it, wasn't it? To, to be honest, even uh, you know the the most one of the most experienced drivers on the grid, Seb Vettel, he was spinning all over the place as well. Um, it was a difficult track to get used to, but once they sort of yeah. figured out that wider line through that sort of banked, I can't think of one turn number is, turn three, turn four? Oh, I'm not good with turn numbers. Two, about turn three, the, the left-hand oh. bank before you go down the back. Yes, yes, because, you know, yeah. for, for, well, for those who don't know us, you know, Steve and I are, are gamers and we like our sim racing and we've done this oh, a number of do. times in ACC, a set of course competition. Yes. And historically, yes, we, we and everyone else we've raced with has always taken that inside line. It hadn't mm. necessarily occurred to me, that, and the professional driver spotted it early on, that that outside line actually gave yeah. more grip and banked you through the corner, which was, uh, yeah, it was really interesting to watch. Yeah, I mean, obviously we've got to remember as though with with ACC, it's the older variant of the track. They're 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 updating that at the moment, which would be quite good when that comes through. Mm. Uh, for any sim racer fans out there, um, I tried the wider line on F1 2021. Oh yeah, how did it go? Mm. Not good. No, no. It seems Codemasters haven't programmed any uh, grip out there because they they've predicted when they created the track the normal racing line you come into the tighter apex and away you go uh yeah that needs that needs editing already yeah um but yeah it yeah 
uh, it was, you know, Zandvoort is one of those tracks that I think is better to drive than it is to watch. (laughs) It's just, I don't think it's really got the space for the F1 cars to proper well then this year's aero though well Um, i know what you mean i i was worried going into the race that it wasn't going to be an overtake fest because i don't think there's any great natural overtaking spaces and that's Mm. that's just that typical problem of any any track that has fast flowing corners in reality what you need is those heavy braking areas and that's that's where you'll get people you need long straights for slipstream or drs in the modern age and you need heavy braking areas for people like danny rick to be braver on the brakes than anyone else Sandvor, yep. there's a couple of heavy braking areas but you know even turn one actually they were taking that probably in third gear i mean that was quite a fast yeah, corner was... faster than i'd expected them to take it yeah it's quite surprising actually to be honest because the older layout of Sandvor, it was a bit tighter it wasn't quite as it is now with the redeveloped pit exit for the f1 mm. so has it taken away a little bit of that Possibly, yeah. Um, but, you know, Zanville, Zanville. Zanville's always a legendary track. It always mm. will be. Um, it's got a lot of history. And I, I'm, I am glad we've gone back to, you know, to Holland and the Netherlands and all that kind of stuff. Uh, because, you know, Max Fever was, you know, a massive thing. Um, and yeah. that's done a lot for the sport over there. Um but yeah, the race just kind of left me. It, it just left me wanting a bit more. Uh, Alonso had a good race. He caught yeah. played some catch up with some good people. Um, made some decent progress into, particularly into turn one. It was his favourite spot to sort of dart past people. Round the outside as well. It was, yeah, mm. yeah, cracking, cracking effort to be honest. Um, but Alonso's a wily old dog, yeah. so you know he, he's not afraid to sort of uh, push the limits when needs be uh, <laughs> and you know um, i'm gonna dive in yeah. here and say because anyone who's listened to our podcast or watched our video cast on mm. youtube will probably have had a fairly firm impression that i'm not a max verstappen fan truth be told i very much was i'm starting to take a dislike to him for reasons that we'll come on to again later in this podcast yeah. i'm sure but mm-hmm. credit where credit's due it was it was a typical Lewis Hamilton, Seb Vettel, Michael Schumacher job where he basically led from start to finish. Yeah. And because of that, no one would consider him for driver of the day because he wasn't dicing and in the action and being exciting on TV. But he controlled the race from start to finish. Lewis kept him honest for as long as he possibly could. But yeah. Yeah, Max did a great job. Yeah, I mean, looking at the, the race, uh, Max lapped everyone up to fourth place in the end. Mm. Um, finished 20.9 seconds ahead of Hamilton and 56 seconds ahead of bloody Bottas in third. Uh, he was in a league of his own. Mercedes were nowhere um, compared to the Red Bull, well, the Red Bull of Vess Verstappen because Perez has been struggling lately. Um, a bit worrying because um, I, I like I like Checo. I think he's a good lad. Yeah. But, He's just having yeah. a bit of a bad run of it. I, you know, yeah, Red Bull have a, a nasty habit of pulling the trigger too early with their number two drivers, yeah. and they absolutely should not yeah. do that because Sergio will do them a very good turn. Well, I mean, he's already proved a steadier hand than other drivers in that same seat this season. Race winner already. Race winner already. You know, he's been at the sharp end, you know, a few times. He's been there or thereabouts. Um, 
largely been more consistent than Bottas in the sister Mercedes this season. Yeah. Um, Bottas has been all over the place, although he seems a bit less stressed now with everything that we're going to discuss in regards to the driver market. Now, there is something um, I want to talk about with Bottas, and because it's been so long, I can't remember if it was here or Monza, but I am fairly sure it was here. In fact, no, I'm 99% certain it was here. Bottas went for the fastest lap and was told to abandon it by James, try to slow down in sector three, and yet still put in the fastest lap of the race, and they then had to react and pit Lewis to give him an opportunity at the fastest lap. That was- that was Monza. Was that it? Was Monza. Are you yeah, sure? Because yeah, sure the reason Monza. I'm ninety nine percent certain is because no, you know, it wasn't Monza because Lewis didn't finish Monza. It was. It was. No, Sandburg. of course. Yes, it was. It was Sandburg. Because yes. I remember oh, yeah, the memes yeah. coming and out then, afterwards and the radio messages. Yeah. Of, Fuck you, James. And you know all the dubbed radio messages coming over yeah. were at Sandburg. Beautiful. Beautiful. I, I love the uh, the meme community. They always produce the gold. Um, yeah, they do. Yeah, but us. I mean. He has absolute flashes of just incredible pace. Yeah. But, but his consistency is fucking awful at the moment. Um, and I hope that improves when he goes to be a team leader. Because when, well, I guess when he's a team leader, he's going to get a bit more of that sort of support around him. And he's kind of largely his team. Um, obviously, we'll come to all the driver moves because there's been some chops and changes and some ones that we just knew were always going to hang around like a bad smell hmm. um I, the only other notable mention i can say about zanvolt really was pierre gasly in p4 great display from him in the alpha tory um, he's sort of the unsung hero in many respects of formula one he, he puts really in cracking performances in the same way george was mr p11 he was Mr. P4 for the longest time, but because he wasn't on yeah. the podium, he was just getting solid points. We never really thought a great deal of it. It just kind of, yeah, it's Pierre doing what he does. Yeah, that's it. He, he just gets on with it. You yeah. Know. yeah, he does. And he puts Fair in enough, a solid that. performance. And I think, I think there's been lots of conversations already about him being overlooked for that uh, Red Bull seat. And actually, I've got to be honest, I think he's better off staying at Alpha Tauri than he is getting to Red Bull. Yeah. It's sort of, you know, I, I like a good metaphor or analogy. For anyone out there that's a football t- a fan, it's the old Matthew Letizia thing. I'd rather be a big fish in a small pond than a little fish in a small pond. And that all goes back to Matthew Letizia. He was obviously an absolute superstar at Southampton and Manchester United when they were the biggest team in the country were touting him. And he went, I don't want to go. I'm perfectly happy where I am at Southampton. And I think that's, that's sort of where Pierre Gasly will be. We've already seen him in a Red Bull not perform. And I yeah. do maintain, I think the Red Bull is a car that's designed on a knife edge. I think that's why so many drivers struggle with it. And this is what I was going to come to. So there was an interview done with Christian Horner. Uh, I was listening to the the, the the Friday practice of this weekend's Russian Grand Prix. Mm-hmm. Uh, Crofty and I can't think who he was talking to in the commentary box. I think it was Johnny Herbert. Little old Johnny oh, popped up into the box. Love I, I love Herbert. Johnny. He is just, he's, yeah, he's, he's a lad. Uh, I, I think he's brilliant. Um, and they're having this really good conversation about red bull and the car and it was quite an interesting one because um they'd been having a chat apparently with christian horner and you know talking about checo in the sister car Mm. and christian for the first time actually turned around he said he said do you know what he said we are on our third driver in as many years pretty Mm. much 
um, you know, because they've had Gasly, Albon, now Checo. And they said, it's become increasingly clear to us that our car is very much geared towards one driver's driving style. And he said, and that's on us. That is on us. That issue is on us. He said, so hopefully, he said, what we need to be able to do is make a car that's drivable by both drivers at the absolute limit for going forwards. And I hope, but obviously new regulations, I hope that that is a reality next season mm. so we can really see what Checo can do in an Adrian Newey car with a team that's proven front runners. I want to see this, yeah. I, you know. Yeah. Because obviously the last big team he drove for <coughs> was McLaren for one season and that was too early in his career and it, it was, was just as McLaren were going downhill. So, yeah, I, I, hope, I hope we're going to see that. I hope that's going to be a thing. Because uh, I, I think I he will achieve great things, given the right machinery. Yeah, probably not a world champion, but definitely more race wins, podiums. You know, he'll be there to pick up the pieces when other people yeah fall by the wayside. At least he'll be a solid number two to Verstappen, which Red Bull have been lacking for all this time. Which we've also, we've said we've said day in day out. They have absolutely, um, and you know, a solid number two can step up. You know, I was just absolutely. reminiscing about Michael Schumacher having his nasty accident at Silverstone all those years ago, when suddenly yeah. Eddie Irvine was their only hope for a drivers' champion. So the number two became the number one, and obviously yeah. Rubens Barrichello for all his number two positions, and you know, famously backing off at the line at Austria and what have you. He won a number of races and was a contender for so many years. But I think you're absolutely right. I think yeah. we shouldn't underestimate the challenge about a driver stepping into a new car. We've seen this no, time and time again. Even if you go back to some of the greats, you know, Ayrton Senna, triple world champion, drove the wheels off that McLaren, was unstoppable. Moved to Williams, which in theory was the best car in the field, had won the last two yeah. years, bounce to bounce. Uh, and then all of a sudden... It wasn't so much that he was struggling for pace because he was still qualifying first or second. He was still running third or fourth in the race. But he was struggling with the balance of the car. He spun it into Lagos in a place where you yeah. never would have expected him to lose it. He had, you know, silly little mistakes and errors yeah. that were very uncharacteristic for someone with his experience and his impeccable car control. But, you know, we could argue mm -hmm. about this particular thing for, for oh. days and days and days because yeah. this is the difference between the driver being fully in control or the electronic aids being fully in control and that was the age where the electronic aids were taking over but you know any driver coming into a car for the first time takes time to adjust nico rosberg looked a better driver in the mercedes than lewis hamilton did in their first season together for many races it's yeah they did uh, and that well nico had been there though hadn't he since 2010 so yeah. It, it, yeah if you're in a team in a car whatever whatever you're going to have that inside knowledge you're going to have that seat time which is a massive thing i mean speaking of seat time uh, so case in point um i don't know if you're aware of the youtuber super gt um, seen a couple of his videos not an avid viewer yeah. but i've watched a couple uh yeah so he's been because obviously he's part of lando norris's quadrant project that okay. they've set up uh, it's basically a load of F1 content creators and racing content creators that are part of this umbrella thing called Quadrant. It's Lando Norris's. He owns it. He runs it. He backed this chap, Steve Brown. Uh, well, Steve Alvarez Brown, I should call him. He's by his full name. Um, or just Super GT. Um, he's 
been back to race in the UK C, so basically the top tier of UK karting. Okay. He's basically been he's been backed to do it because he used to kart younger but couldn't afford to continue doing the racing, so became a content creator as you do. Um, Lando's backed him, put him in the thing. He's gone back to it, and you know he's on a grid of what twenty races, and he hasn't he's got budget to pay for the season, pay for the kart, and go to the races. What he hasn't got is budget to do all of the testing days and get the seat time. Yeah. And it's shown because in his races, this is just go karts. So everyone's in the same fucking spec go kart. Everyone's in the same thing. You know, they're all they're all the same spec. Yeah. And he's out there, and he's just getting swamped. And he's finishing eighteenth, you know, seventeenth out of twenty, way off the pace. Um, and and he himself in his videos has documented going around talking to the other drivers and the other drivers are like you know they're banging in about three or four days worth of just practice days every week whereas he's getting one test day a month outside of the races and they're saying look if you're gonna if you want to be at the sharp end of karting or, or any motorsport seat time is what will get you there and if you haven't got the budget for that or if you're limited on testing like f1 is where are you going to get that seat time? That's, that's the thing. So it's going to take time because Verstappen's been in the in that Red Bull car now for I can't think how many years. What four years now? Something like that. Something ridiculous. Might Three, be longer. Years. Might be. Yeah, it might be longer. Um, might be even five years. Well, he was he was sixteen when he joined F one. He's twenty three now, and I don't think it was long before he made it to uh, Red Bull. Let's have a quick look. One, two, no. three, four, five. This is his sixth season in that Red Bull seat. Wow. So there you go. Uh, and Perez comes from a completely different car mm. to being in that. He needs the seat time yeah. to be at the sharp end. And with no in-season testing, which I still think is a shame, because I used to love going down to Silverstone and seeing the uh, the, old, the old in-season test. Yeah, pay 15 quid on the gate, get in, go watch the cars go round. Okay, there was only the standing areas open. Good grandstands are all locked up, but it was always good, good fun to sort of just go down, just watch them test, watch them test all day. But obviously, we're we're in a different age, different era now. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I I rate I still rate Checo. Um, on his day, he's still one of the fastest drivers on the grid. Like you say, Barrichello, mm. Eddie, steady Eddie. Um, you know, uh, Ed Eddie, that man. Eddie's got the lifestyle that I absolutely love for a Formula oh. One driver. I mean, he was he was a good-looking no. man, but he was a playboy yeah. with it. And, you know, you yeah. see him now as a retired F1 driver on his yacht, sipping champagne with women all around care. him. Someone's fetching him another whiskey, and he's just like, yeah, mm. yeah, loving life. Thanks very much, lads. Uh, and I love it. And he's still as outspoken as ever as well. Uh, and I love it. I love it because he just doesn't care. Like, he's got something on his mind. He's going to say it, and That's he's going to let everyone know his opinion and whether you know what? hear it or not why should he care he's Eddie Irvine yeah. he can do what he wants yeah exactly <laughs> I mean he's the most successful successful Irishman mm. I think to have raced in Formula 1 I want to say I would have said so I actually I mean I can't necessarily mm. think of any Irish F1 drivers off the top of my head besides Eddie um Oh, here we go. So you've got Joe Kelly, who did one year. You've got Derek Daly, who did four years. Derek Daly, yeah. David Kennedy, Tommy Byrne, and Ralph Furman. Oh, God, Ralph Furman. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Do you know that guy, Ralph Furman? uh, I actually, I 
for whatever fucking reason, I googled him the other day, and he's not involved really in motorsports at all anymore. He's completely sort of moved himself away from that. It's, it's an interesting transition. Interesting transition. So, just, just very interestingly, sorry, before we move on from this, Eddie Irvine doesn't appear in that list. And I've had a moment of panic of, hang on, have we got it wrong? Is he not Irish? No, don't he's be stupid. Of course Irish, he's Irish. He? So he lists his nationality as British. Oh, okay. So he is indeed. He's County Down. He's Northern Ireland. But his nationality, because of that, comes under British. There you go, then. Well, oh, well. I mean, yeah. I wonder how Eddie uh, feels about that, because I always thought he was really proud of his Irish roots. Well, that's what I thought, because on his helmet, he even had, like, the clover yeah. and everything on it. So, I mean, that's, that's an interesting one. And, you know, uh, well, oh, hang on, hang on, I've got to check now. Did Jackie oh, Stewart he's... appear as British, or did he appear as Scottish? Jackie Stewart. Yes, it comes up, British racing driver. I'm assuming then DC was to be the same. Yeah, yeah so DC does, I, I remember. How interesting. Oh, I almost... I almost think that's a bit of a shame. I mean, I know they're part of the wider, wider Great Britain or United Kingdom or what have you. But, you know, Jackie Stewart used to walk around in his tartan flat caps. He had tartan all down the side of the Stewart racing car when that was a thing. I mean, yeah, I'd, I'd uh... get his tartan trousers. <laughs> yeah, oh, God. God. yeah no, I sort of think that's uh... a shame. I, I, I would have preferred to have seen them actually race for their own nationality rather than let the politics get in the way. Scotland, Ireland, yeah. Northern Ireland, whatever it might be. Hmm, okay. Ah, well, I'm guessing that's all done for motorsport licensing reasons. Um, or, or even as simple as national anthems. I, You know, I couldn't uh, honestly well, maybe, tell you yeah. if Scotland or Northern Ireland have their own mm. unique national anthem. So, okay. Let's... Just forget Zanvort. I think Zanvort's... Uh... Can I say one thing before we move on for Zanvort? <laughs> Go on. Um, the Hass boys had fun. Oh, do you know what? It's it's another episode of Gunther losing his shit in the office. I, I love it. It was. I can't wait for the. I can't wait for Netflix's Drive to Survive. I I I yeah. It was pathetic. It was absolute school school ground shit. Now, mm. so Nikita Mazepin claimed the qualifying issue was because it was his turn to run first on the road and Mick oh. was in front of him. No. Now, yeah, all right, yourself. fine. Yeah, May fine. Maybe yeah. that was the cause of yeah. it. Either suck it up and talk about it in a team debrief, or drive fast enough that your teammate doesn't feel the need to overtake you, you bellend. But to yeah. then cause what was very nearly a significant and severe three-card pile-up with Sebastian Vettel before starting your flying lap, is unforgivable. Mm -hmm. And then yeah. during the race, race, oh race as hard as you want. But I, I remember seeing, it was Michael Schumacher and Rubens Barrichello when Schumacher was back in the Mercedes. Barrichello must have been in the Braun, I'm thinking. Williams. Was he in the Williams? Williams. Uh, uh, yeah. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, Hungary, where he pushed him all the way to the wall, over the white line, and nearly off the track. It was unbelievable. And Schumi, rightly so, got a penalty and did that hold guy. his hands up for it. Yeah, he did. Yeah, but it is. that was exactly... Mazepin did what I felt was very, very similar to Mick and really pushed him as, as hard yeah. as he could. And you don't do that with your teammate. You know, rule one, don't take your teammate mm. out. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Gunther, like, obviously, he had some things to say, as he always does. Um, but, you know, like Mick, that's not the first incident between these two. And it's not been the last. And it's not going to be the last. Because obviously, 
there's other news that means that this is going to continue. Oh, great. Can't wait. Um, but like Matt Mick was saying, that obviously Nikita now is overdriving the car mm. in pure just determination that I will be faster than Mick in at least one session or one race. That is not the fucking right attitude to be having. It, right now, you're, you should be just focusing on learning the car, mm. learning F1, and just trying to help the team develop. At the moment, this season's a write-off. We know this season's a write-off. Yeah. Um, it, you know, Haas have said as much. They said right from the beginning of the season, we're not bringing updates to the car. We're focusing all of our efforts on next year yeah. because they've got... Um, that chap from Ferrari, who's now heading up their design office, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they've, they've got all the things not well, in the right place there or thereabouts. I still yeah. don't believe in this customer ethos for the chassis. I think that should mm-hmm. still be an in-house thing. Yeah. Um, but obviously, Haas don't have the facilities for that. So, you know. but It's the right thing to do. They should abandon this is. year's car and focus on next year for yeah. the rule change. I yeah. would do the same. I would have done it exactly the same as well. And do you know what? For the last, like, I know Williams have really picked up in recent days, like with certain results, mm-hmm. profiteering on weather for one, mm-hmm. um, and other people's mistakes. Um, but I haven't seen any upgrades brought to their car. They are just plodding on as well with what they've got mm-hmm. and just get into next season because that's where they're at. Obviously, Mercedes had said the same. However, the, I did see that they started bringing updates to the car again. Oh, panicking because of Red Bull, this. Um, but, you know, like, Mick Mick was quite right in voicing that, you know, Nikita shouldn't be doing that, you know. And it, God forbid, like, because obviously we know how Gunther is when he loses his temper. <laughs> I would not want to be the driver causing the issue to be brought in the office. But... Is anything really going to happen to Nikita Mazepin with Daddy Billionaire sitting in his back pocket? No. Nope. It, I mean, that's, that much has been proven with, obviously, his off-track behaviour. And we've already seen his defensive... Th- these same... <laughs> it amazes me because this defensive manoeuvre was almost a carbon copy of one that he pulled on his own teammate back in Formula 2. He did a very similar one where he just fucking just drove across him. And I was like, what the fuck is this guy doing? Um... He's very unaware of his surroundings, mm. and he's just bone idle. He's a stubborn fucker. He's just like, no, you're not coming past, and I'll do anything I can do to not let you go past. Yeah. I think we're going to see a bigger event happen, because I don't think enough has happened internally in that team to say, this shit needs to fucking stop. It's going to happen again, mm. and unfortunately, I think... You know, for the time being, Mick is in Nikita's firing line, and mm. it's gonna be like that going on as we go forward. So I, the only advantage is, me. from what I've seen of races to come, and I know we'll, we'll talk about Monza oh, uh, uh, probably in a second. And there was contact again there, but yeah. there are generally speaking only two or three periods when Mick is in Nikita's firing line, which is the start of the race, first pit stop and second pit stop, because outside mm. of that, he's generally quick enough to get the fuck away from him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he is. He is. Nikita doesn't have any racecraft. He, he doesn't have any pace. He's purely there because of dad's money. Um, I 
when was the last time Mazepin actually won a title, if at all? Nothing's coming to the top of my head. Oh, well, I, hang on. I have Google open. Um, but I think it's worth noting. So he was second place in the GP3 series in 2018. He was third placed in the F3 Asian Championship 2019-20. And those are his two best finishes to date. Wow. And yet we're then losing younger drivers, such as Callum Eilert, who oh, has just basically... He's, he's abandoned F1 now to go full-time over in the States next year. I personally think that's a huge loss to F1 because he was one of the most exciting talents coming up in the junior categories. And now he's gone. And, I, we, you know, it's so hard for drivers to tr transition from the States to F1. We it don't is. usually see it happen. And usually, once you've gone stateside, you generally stay there. Um, yeah, there's very few drivers yeah. who've made that transition at all, and fewer still that have made the transition there and then back. The only two that yeah. come to mind would be Mansell, um, yeah. who obviously famously went to IndyCar for 93, was then mm -hmm. the only person in the world to be the reigning F1 champion and IndyCar champion at the same time, and then came back for 94 for a few races. Um, and of yeah. course, Fernando. But Fernando's only done that because he wanted the Indy 500 crown to be the triple crown. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah, it... I don't think many people do make that switch at all. It, I, I think it's the right thing for Callum to do. You know, we discussed this through text message. I think it's the right thing to do because his Absolutely. career would go stale otherwise. Yeah. But similar what, to your being, do? Just it's languishing around. Yeah, it is a shame because all he's going to do is languish around in Formula Two, yeah. and to be honest. That's not the, that's not a pinnacle series at all. It's a feeder series. We know it's a feeder series. That's what that's its sole purpose. Whereas at least if he goes to the United States, he's in their premier class of single seater racing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, admittedly, it's probably not on the levels of you know NASCAR in the states still somehow. But it does have the Indy Five Hundred, which will be you know obviously something for him to have a go at. Um, yeah, it's a shame, and I think though we're at risk of other young drivers with similar talent levels going the same way because we've got a good crop of youngsters mm. but then when we look at the driver market this year it, yeah. you know it's th there's one now, seat yeah there's one seat available which is geos yeah exactly yeah um and you know with his performances as well in the races lately i don't think he's going to be staying on um, yeah, he's been. He's had a number of wobbles since Spa. Oh, he had a few nasty yeah. ones at Spa, and you know, again, we're skipping ahead a bit. But he's had a couple of nasty offs in Sochi this weekend at qualifying. You know, he was yeah. he, he backed it into the into the barriers and took his rear wing off in in practice three, and then in qualifying he was broadside across the track, blocking Charles the clerk. So he's yeah, he's getting a bit tetchy and a bit nervous, and he was slow yeah. today as well. Yeah, he was. He was very slow. Um... I, yeah, I think his time is done now. Um, like he had a couple of stand-up qualifying performances, which was like, well, where the fuck's he suddenly pulled this? You know, where's he pulled this pace from? This is amazing. And then gets gets the race day, and then like, okay, one of them wasn't really his fault because someone chopped across his nose, and he had to go and take a nose cone at Zandvoort. Hmm. Um, but Monza was completely his own doing. <laughs> so. You know, yeah. I mean, we'll go through the drivers list. I do have it open as to who's confirmed where and what. The the the. 
So, you know, we'll, we'll go through that as and when. Um, shall we jump forwards to Monza? Shall we, yeah. shall we, shall we come to Monza? I think so. Um, <laughs> do you know what? It, it was another Monza special, really. Um, it was fantastic. I, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> it was a good race. Uh, it was a good race. It was a good race. And uh, the McLaren dream at last. At fucking last. Those boys have been like, they've been so close. They've been sort of there nipping, nipping away. Whenever people have fallen by the wayside, they've been sort of sniffing around with podiums and, you know, Lando looking pretty sharp. But do you know what? I didn't expect it to be that man, Danny Ricardo, to take the victory. But my Neither God, did I. he drove... As if it was, it was like it was proper Danny Rick back to the Red Bull days. It just, but and he was saying himself, it all just came flooding back. He was in front. He was. Uh, I don't know if you heard some of his stuff, but the team was saying in the, in some of their stuff, he was literally driving around the racetrack and he was just humming and singing songs to himself in his helmet. He was just, he was in his he was in his zone and he was driving like an absolute champ. You can often and tell with Danny Rick because he he can not always he's had moments particularly mm. over this season but he's generally very calm behind the wheel. I vividly remember when he was at Renault, him getting that radio message. Okay, Danny, we need you to increase the pace, please. Okay, how much faster do you need me to go? We need another half a second a lap. Okay, on it, <laughs> and he just yeah. went. And then yeah. he had, I'm sure, was it uh, Azerbaijan? He did something and he lost the, the team some time. And he was like, "Don't worry, lads, I'll make it up." And he did. You and know, he did. <laughs> he's he's. We've always said this. He's a brilliant driver who's been underperforming in that car. Similar to what we were just saying earlier, new driver yeah. in the new car, got to get time to get used to it. Absolutely, He's starting absolutely. to find his feet a little bit, and I was made up for him to get a P1. Yeah. And testament to what a man, what a gentleman, and what a grown-up Lando is, how oh. excited was Lando for him to win that I race? know. I know. I know. Uh, do you know what? Lando, uh, let's just talk about Lando. <laughs> what a fucking season he's having, for one. Hey, he's he's coming into his own you know it's that critical it's that critical season three you know this is the time in your career that when you make it to your third season there's nothing to hide behind anymore it is you are now a legit f1 driver there's no more excuses and he's just like you say he's so mature with everything he does and i just love how you know when science pulled out some great results he was excited and happy for them and then danny rick pulls out this result and he's excited and happy. he's just fucking loving life and i i love to see it because we've had too many placid drivers come through f1 in recent years and now we've actually got quite a likable cheeky chap who I don't know if you saw the Twitter uh, where he fucking posted up on Danny Rick's Twitter account because Danny Rick left his phone laying around. <laughs> oh, rookie era. I just, like, what are you doing? You can't do that with Lando. Because <coughs> Lando's, Lando's going to make you pay for that, man. Yeah. Like, and but sure you, enough, he did. Uh, but it, it was great. He's he's brilliant. He's a cheeky chappy. Oh. I was watching the video earlier of him elbowing Alex Albon into yes. Danny Rick as they were, you know he's just a funny yeah. lad but I was just having a quick look actually at the current standings season's not over plenty of racing yeah. left to be done don't get me wrong but generally yeah. speaking for the last five or six years there's going to be two teams at the top and then you've got the best of the rest um, and that would have either been Mercedes and Ferrari or Mercedes and Red Bull that's just the way yeah. it's been yeah absolutely yeah. so that would mean your best of the rest starts at fifth place yeah. Lando Norris 
currently sitting fourth place in the championship and only nine points off the back of Valtteri Bottas. It's incredible. <laughs> it, it, tell you what, it, then this again goes to show consistency. It, you know, Lando has just been hitting his stride this season. He's had a little wobble a couple of tracks, but mm. by and large, he's just been a safe pair of hands. You know that when he's behind that wheel, he will get the maximum out of that car for that particular track and that race. Yeah. You know, and if the opportunity is there to sniff a podium, he's seized it. He's done it. You know, he's he's taken full grip of that. I'm I am absolutely buzzing for the lad, and I mm. I still maintain this lad. If whether it is with McLaren, or whether in time things change and he moves on, he will be a world champion. Uh, I I I think him, George, Charles Leclerc, mm. they're your big three with Verstappen. Well, obviously Verstappen's about the same age as well. Keep on forgetting that shit. He ain't going um, anywhere yet. You've got four fucking fantastic drivers there who are each more than capable of racing each other to the fucking eighth degree i i i am excited to see this take shape i agree and i think i think i'd add carlos signs into that list as well yeah do you know what underrated isn't he really he is carlos. Uh, you know he's yeah. um he's, he's been matching charles leclerc in the ferrari he's been putting in some great performances the only thing that worries me a little bit, and this is, you know, no no slight to Lando Norris at all. I see a future where Lando and George are going toe-to-toe for victories. And I worry if we're going to have a bit of a Lewis Hamilton, Nico Rosberg type situation. Because they're obviously great mates. They've come up through the categories together. And how will they both react when a world championship is on the line and they're the two men in the in the frame for it? And I think that's a very realistic future. Particularly yeah, if, if Lewis yeah. does think about stepping down and retiring in the next two, three, four years. These feel like the people that will be leading the charge at the at the sharp mm. end. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. Um, I would hope, just by how they've been, I would hope that their maturity, you know, still holds strong and, you know, they deal with it. But, you know, in heat of battle, these things, you know, these things happen. It's a very realistic possibility. It is. Um, To be honest, though... Would I really be complaining if I'm seeing these guys, the absolute Titanic drivers, going wheel to wheel and just fucking giving us the racing that we want? <laughs> it would certainly divide fan bases. That's that's for fucking sure. It know? would, but um, but that's a sacrifice that I'm willing to make. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Science is a good shout. Um, who else? Who else had a, yeah, had a good race? At, I tell you what, who had a surprisingly decent race finish at Monza? Mm. And it doesn't look spectacular on paper, but P7 for Lance Stroll. I don't know where did he suddenly sneak that from? The crafty little shit. Yeah, he he does this from time to time, doesn't he? And sort of sneaks in, um, just pops up, and you're just like, oh, yeah. Lance. <laughs> Forgot about you. <laughs> yeah, I remember the same. Was it, it must have been the Turkish Grand Prix last year when him and Sergio were leading for the longest time, and then they both fell away. Yeah, Stroll pops up, takes pole position. Like, yeah. Sorry, sorry, what? 
<laughs> there was a risk for a while he was going to take pole today yeah. at Sochi, but that's a conversation uh, for later. Um, yes. Yeah, it was it was a decent it was a decent one from from Lance. Mm. I think part of that. Part of the reason he was the lead driver in the Aston Martin was because Seb didn't have the greatest of races. I can't remember. No. He pitted really early and then ended up pitting again later. And there were some issues for Seb during that race. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, let's not let's not take it away from him. P7's a strong result for Lance Stroll. Yeah, it is. It's a good result, to be honest. Um, obviously, another striking result. George picking up another two points in ninth. I mean... Yeah. He certainly seizes the opportunities when they arise, and he does. Yeah. But I think Williams have started to turn a corner somewhere in their development because yes. Latifi yes. was up there as well. Latifi was, yeah, was P eleven, yeah, P eleven again. I, you know, Latifi's being consistent. I, he is a paid driver. Let's not forget that. Mm. But he's certainly not. He's certainly a world above the pay driver level of Nikita Mazepin, <laughs> which is which is always a good thing. You know, you don't want to be a Nikita Mazepin. No one wants no. to be that. No. Um, We're not biased on this podcast, yeah. by the way. No, <laughs> oh, not at all. Well, I tell you what did make did make me laugh is obviously with the uh, obviously Kimi Räikkönen contracting COVID and being away for two races. Yeah, um, was Robert Kubica standing in? I love I love Robert. I've me got too. a lot of time for Mister Kubica. Yeah, it was so nice to actually see him jump in the car and be ahead of the Haas drivers straight away. Just jumping in the car. No seat time. I'll just jump in the car. I'll out-qualify the Haas drivers. Fuck them, you know. Yeah. And uh, and for large parts of, of Monza, he was on the pace of Gio. And, well, I'm just looking, know, actually, at the final race order. He actually yeah. only finished two and a half seconds behind Gio on the track after 53 laps. Mm-hmm. You know, he wasn't yeah. lapped. Yeah, no, I mean, and fair play. Yeah, fair play. Um, obviously, the safety car at some point saved Gio because Gio had obviously binned it early on. Yes. Uh, without that, Robert probably would have been ahead of him, I reckon. Um, but yeah, I mean, Kubit's done a commendable job in my opinion because um, he showed some decent pace at a tricky technical track like Zandvoort um, and then comes to Monza and is again there or thereabouts for where the car should be. He's He's been a good, good standing. Is that probably going to be his last Grand Prix start? Probably. Probably. Yeah, but which is a shame. I've got there. I've got a lot of time for Robert Kubica. I actually watched mm. him a little while ago on someone's YouTube channel. I can't even remember who the guy was. It's not someone I subscribed to. I must have just found it by accident. And this guy had turned up. He was he, he used to take cars to Nürburgring and race this, that and the other. Um, and Robert just turned up and was like, I'd love to yeah. understand what you do, what's going on. Can I jump in the car with you, do a couple of laps? I'll maybe take you round as well. And he just showed what... What a down-to-earth, nice human being he was. It was. Yeah. Um, it, he's a real yeah. loss from Formula One, and it's it's just one of those dumb luck things with, yeah, with the accident he had in the rally car that damaged his hand, and that tight cockpit and the way you have to grip the wheel. You know, it's just not going to work out for him. The fact that he even made it back at all for that full-time drive a few years ago is, yeah. is testament to the man. Um, yeah. And it's yeah, a shame because he was destined to be a world champion. Yeah, he was. Um, I and mean, let's not forget, obviously, he was um, scheduled at the end of the year he had his accident. He was going to be becoming a f- fucking Ferrari driver, you know. It's it's a huge shame we were robbed of his best years. Um, and it's amazing. But... Have you ever seen his rally accident? 
I, I, yeah, 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 I have. It, it, yeah. You know, it, it looks horrific, but yeah, in yeah. comparison, when you remember Robert Kubica crashed his car at Canada in one of the biggest Formula One accidents I've seen in recent time, and he walked away from that going, whew, that was nasty, and then it was the rally accident that ended his career almost. Yeah. It's it's ridiculous. I know, it's, it's, yeah, it's such a shame, such a shame, but he is the LMP2 champion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I tell you what, he he had such he's had such a weird year this year because he went from obviously, you know, he's reserve driver role, da 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 da, to all of a sudden jumping back in an F1 car for a couple of races, to then going straight from that to the World Endurance Championship and winning the title there. I mean, he's just he's so he's like just shot up on an upward trajectory again. But fair play to the lad. Yeah. Um, you know, I've got a lot of time for him. Um, it was good to see him back in the F1 paddock. Yeah. He'll probably stay on, I would imagine, as a reserve. Um, I imagine he'll be kept around because that's he seems to be there. <coughs> I'd like something. I'd like to think um, so because, you know, even if he doesn't have the, the dexterity in his hand to be able to compete and, and do what he needs to do. His expertise, his experience, his qualities are enough that would add significant value to any team yeah. on the paddock from their development point of view. I'd, I'd really like him to see a stick around for a long time to come. Yeah, no, I, I hope he is a, a fixture in that paddock for a while to come. Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, we're talking about Monza. Um, yes. A couple of incidents. Obviously, we've already mentioned the house drivers. They had another little biff, didn't they, in these... In the chicane, uh, Nikita and yeah, Mick. Just, just coming out of Curva Grande and into the chicane, um, Nikita stuck his wheel up and took out Mick. I mean, yeah. it was just a ridiculous, foolhardy move. He must have known uh, that it was just... never going to stick. I don't even know what he was thinking. Uh, do, do you know what, though? With how he drives and what he does, it wouldn't surprise me, though, if he if he, he's just completely unaware. He's just like, oh, I'm going to stick it up here. So that's interesting. I thought you were going to say something yeah. different, and I was about to agree with you. I was. I thought you were going to say it wouldn't surprise me if he did it on purpose. Um, and There is that. And I didn't want to go down that route, but you've gone down that route. Yes. Um, with how I'm... petty and petulant this lad is. Do you know what? I wouldn't put it past him. I have um, no problem opening any of these cans of worms, mate. Yeah, I'll, I'll open them all. But no, I... I, I I wouldn't be surprised if it was on purpose. Just from Nikita, in his mind, trying to put Mick in his place and sort of, you know, reminder, this is my team, I'm here as well, don't get too big for your boots. Yeah, um, I'm bankrolling this. <laughs> absolutely. Which yeah. is why I was really hoping Mick was going to make the move to Alpha and take GOC to whatever okay. it was. But it looks yeah. like in the last days they have officially confirmed the same driver lineup for next year. Yes, yeah. Um, but yeah, again, it's just more stupidity. I mean, thankfully, though, Nikita rude that decision because he ended up retiring from the race. Yes. So, fucking good. Um, that's two DNFs in a row now for Nikita. Keep on going, mate. Keep on going like that because I really just can't stand the guy, to be honest. No, I can't um, either. No. Another driver that I think is really gone off off piste off boil mm. uh yuki sonoda yeah he's had a he showed some real flashes at the beginning of the season i was really yeah. excited for him partially because i don't think japan have had a real 
leading driver for a long, long time. You know, they've had a lot of also rans, but no one that's ever come near. And he looked really exciting. Um, uh, ironically, I'm just looking at his results. We're saying he went off the boil a little, a little bit. He did score points in Silverstone and he did score yes, points did. in Hungary. But yeah, Belgium, he was nowhere. France before that, he was nowhere. Monaco, he was nowhere. Yeah. yeah. I, I, again, because this is Alpha Tauri and not Red Bull, I'm hoping they'll give him another season to find his feet. Because I think well, he deserves it. Well, he, they, they will. well yeah, he obviously is signed to continue next season. Um, but we know what people are like these days, particularly in the Red Bull panic about cutting people halfway through. I'm, I'm just saying, in Formula One, a contract means fuck all. Um, it's irrelevant, really. The amount of drivers we've seen chopped and changed over the years, a contract means very, very little in F1. No. Um, but he just those flashes of pace yet again, sticking true to that kind of the drivers from Japan because. Mm. Kobayashi showed moments of brilliance. He did. Um, Takuma Sato had moments of brilliance. And then, who the hell was before that? Taranazuki Takagi had no moments of brilliance. Um... <laughs> Hang on, who, who was your favourite? What, my favourite Japanese driver? Yeah, the guy who did nothing. Oh, to what? Taranazuki Takagi? Was it Takagi? There was, that wasn't the name I was thinking of. I'm sure there was another one. Hang on, I'm yeah, Googling. Katayama. I see, I loved Ukio Katayama. I love Katayama. Yeah. Drove for the Tyrrell. Uh, Taki Inoue. I love Taki Inoue. Aguri <laughs> yeah. Suzuki. Oh, Aguri Suzuki. What a legend. Um, ah, no. Yuji Aide. Oh, Ide. Ide. That's, yeah, that's Ide. who I was Uchi, thinking Uchi of. Ide, the, the guy who had his super license revoked for being too slow. That was the one I was thinking of, because you and I have talked I, about him before. I, I tell you now, put him in that Mercedes world champion. <laughs> <laughs> Give him his license back. <laughs> yeah, but no, I, I'd forgotten about Ukio Katayama. God, that's going back yeah, a few years as well. And Shinji Nakano, that was the other one that I remember in, in recent years. Wasn't he, was he Ligier and Prost? Ligier and Minardi. Oh, was he a Minardi driver? Oh, yeah, well, you his, know that. You he, love your Minardi. His swan song was 1998 alongside Esteban Tuero. Uh, wow. Yeah, he yeah had, he, do you know what? He had some half-decent finishes in that as well. He finished yeah, seventh in Canada. Yeah, I know. But, like, he he could drive. Like, he wasn't a bad driver. He just had no funding. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so no, uh, I... I Going back to what we were saying, I was holding out a lot of hope for uh, at last a Japanese driver who's yeah. going to be exciting, a bit of pace, a bit of something about him, and he's kind of largely just continued the trend, which is such a shame. Um, yeah. I'm still maybe... prepared to give him time. I I still have in yeah. the back of my mind that he will come good and he'll start to pull I, something out the bag. I hope so. I hope so. I mean, I hope once he's bedded in this season, get this year out of the way, get through mm. your rookie year. Yeah. You know you've got a contract next season, so now is the time to just soak in all the as much information as you can. The problem he has is that he keeps on overstepping the mark and binning the car. Mm. Um, and in binning the car, he's then costing himself the track time that's going to help him out to improve. 
it's a vicious circle for him because he just needs to calm it down. That's all he needs to do. He kind of reminds me at this stage where a very early Roman Grosjean who had flashes of fucking brilliance but then would crash. And it took a sports psychologist to get him to fucking sort it out to just bring him down. And then he started banging in decent results. Um, I think maybe Yuki needs something like that. And I'm sure Red Bull have got all this because they moved him to Italy anyway. Um, to be with the team to put him in the simulator every chance he can get. Um, yeah, uh, just a bit of a shame, really. Um, obviously, we're, we're kind of skirting around the big incident of Monza. <laughs> um, Hang on, there was an incident at Monza? Really? Uh, strangely enough, I, I read a post-it note somewhere that said there was an incident at Monza. Oh, um, who knew? Uh, it turns out, checking it out, it's legit. Um, yeah, we're... <laughs> The title battle. Hmm. As you know, I'm getting old. My memory's not what it used to be. I can't remember if you and I have had a really clear conversation on this. So I don't think I necessarily know your feelings. So I'm going to push this straight to you this time. And I'm going to get you to give me your thoughts and opinion. And then I'll retort. Yeah. Okay. Um, Who's at fault? (laughs) Yeah. Who's at fault? Oh, it's, it's, it's an interesting one because you've got two guys who are in the midst of probably the tightest title battle we've seen. Probably, well, Hamilton's fiercest title fight since Rosberg, I would say. Um, and we're finally now seeing a driver that's capable of making the great Hamilton fluster and make mistakes. And get you, and you can hear it in his team radio messages how pent up he is and how on edge he is all the time. Now, obviously, you've got the situation where they're going at it again in the race. Yeah. Verstappen has had a slow pit stop, but has come out of the pits, guns blazing to make up the difference because mm-hmm. of the sticky wheel. Hamilton comes in the fucking pits. Same fucking thing. Not quite as long. Wasn't as bad. But has, yeah, wasn't as bad. Wasn't as bad as an issue. But it still delayed him, and it delayed him enough to create this amazing situation where Verstappen's undercut pace has allowed him to close the gap. Yeah. Verstappen's delay has pushed him back into the window. And we skirting around the issue, isn't he? No, 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 no. And then we cut to this amazing scene where we've got Hamilton gunning it down the pits, and you've got Verstappen on the outside. At that moment in time, I was literally holding my breath. And I was like, this ain't going to end well. <laughs> sure enough, we go into the corner. We come through. <sighs> Fuck's sake. This happens trying to go around the outside to get the inside for turn two. Yep. Which is a fair move. I've done it many a time on simulators. You've done it probably the same many a time on simulators. Hamilton obviously doesn't want to leave the... Leave, well, just want to let... Verstappen go because fuck me, this is the best chance I've got of keeping him behind at this moment in time. Mm-hmm. You know, this is for the title. This is essentially, this is blood for the title now. Verstappen, obviously, though, is a driver that is never going to fucking back out of an, mm. of an opportunity like this. There's a bit of track there. I'm Verstappen. I want this track. This track is mine. <laughs> now, I- I've seen many arguments, and obviously, we know what happened with the stewards' call on it. We do. However, could Hamilton have left more space? Nah. 
yeah, probably if he let Verstappen go. But is, in a realistic world, are you going to let your title rival go? Uh, I don't know. For me, at fault, I would say... With a gap that was always going to close, I would probably still say Verstappen was at fault okay. on the basis that he's launched <coughs> his car into a tight... Well, not necessarily a tightening space, because there was a bit of track left. But the yeah. angle he's come around the outside at to then take that second corner, that ain't, he was never going to make that in a sense of getting a decent exit out of that corner, no matter what happened there because of the acute angle we had uh, it was a close call i you know at one point i sort of heard on the thing of is it a racing incident you know is it but i don't know i do kind of agree with the stewards giving the penalty to verstappen on this occasion just because it ended up launching sort of he bounced on that was that it was do you know what it was almost a replica did i not send you the uh the the, the fucking stream clip of perez bouncing across that same curb into me and ripping my front wing off on f1 2021 exact same thing Maybe. i came down okay i might have done I came down to turn one, same situation. I came down to turn one on the right-hand side. Perez on the outside. Perez has gone right around the outside, and I've left maybe a car's whip. About the same gap as Hamilton, and Perez has bounced across that and into me. Interestingly, in the game, the game also gave Perez the drop, the penalty for launching across the curb into me rather than me. Okay. It's an interesting one. It's an interesting one, I'm just saying. But for me, I'm going to say it. Verstappen, for me... Probably at fault, being too aggressive again. When really, Hamilton coming out the pits with tyres not up to temperature. If you'd just taken a better line through the opening two turns, he would have had to run through Curva Grande into the uh, the next part of the track. Um, yes. You know, yeah. that's... I, and I think, for me, that is Verstappen's maturity again. He just sees that... It's like a ball on a red flag. It's like I can be in front of Hamilton, and he just he just goes for it. He, you know, he he needs to like we've said we've said this many times. He needs to learn when to attack, when not to attack. Because let's not forget, Verstappen is the championship points leader yes. at this moment in time. Yes, he is. He wouldn't have been if the race result had stayed the way it was, or if Lewis had gone yeah. on to win the race, which I think was like a potentially likely yeah. outcome. But yeah, yeah, okay. So, my opinion <laughs> on this mm. incident has changed. Okay, okay, okay. And my initial reaction, I think, will surprise you. Oh, okay. When the incident happened, I was declaring it a 50-50 in a racing incident. Yeah. But if I was going to apportion yeah. more blame to one than the other, I was giving more to Lewis than I was to Max. Because if you watch... If you watch the onboard from Max, there is a car's width and Lewis closes it as he starts to get closer to the apex, which is a yeah, normal racing yeah. line. It's what you'd expect yeah. anyone to do. And my assumption was this was a really fierce reaction from Lewis because Max had pushed him off um, coming through the chicane after Curva Grande on lap one in, yes. and really shoved him off the road. I mean, yeah. that was just fucking rude. And then they were showing videos on Sky Sports mm. and what have you of him doing the same at Imola and other races yeah. earlier in the year. So I I thought at the beginning, I thought this was Lewis going, do you know what? 
you jumped Fuck up, you. little git. Yeah. yeah. Elbows yeah. out. Have some of that. What's made me change my mind and apportion more blame to Max and agree with the stewards is actually from Karen Chandock. And I've ju- I was yes. trying to find the original tweet whilst we were talking. I have found it, but it took me a while because the original tweet has been deleted. But somebody tweeted Karen Chandock and said, all right, explain this then. And they show Lewis and Kimi Raikkonen when he was in the Ferrari in the same position, but Kimi being forced to back out and Lewis making it round. And what, what Karen Chandock said was really clear is actually if you look at the two side by side, Lewis was a wheel in front of Kimi going into turn one before we get to turn two. So Kimi obviously had the inside and then got further in front. He's but behind, yeah. He was, he was behind going into the corner. Lewis was in front. If you look yeah. at the same accident that Max and Lewis had, Max was halfway up Lewis's car, mm-hmm. but at no point was he ever in front. So yeah. actually when Lewis then takes that corner and then tries to take his normal line... There is a perfectly good escape road there for exactly this reason, because we've seen this happen time and time again. And it was, now I reflect on it, and having seen these other angles and other opinions, it was Max being too hot-headed and not knowing when to give up the place. But if I put aside the racing incident for a moment, I'm going to get a bit personal. Oh, fuck it, though. Do you know what really pissed me off? And actually, to this day, I am still angry physically angry about this is okay max verstappen and christian horner made a huge song and dance about what an arsehole lewis hamilton was for celebrating his podium at silverstone when that max had had a nasty accident yep max has an accident which he is found to be at fault for whether he agrees with it or not lands his car on top of Lewis Hamilton's head, whereby the halo was the only thing that saved a fairly serious injury, potentially life-changing or life-ending injury for Lewis Hamilton. Max gets out the car and walks off without even a second thought of going up and going, are you alright, Lewis? The hypocrisy from the Red Bull camp at the moment is unreal how can you have such little care for another human being that you don't think oh shit i might have been taken out the race but my entire car appears to be on his head i better check that he's okay can't, yeah yeah can't fathom uh, it uh, do you know i'm not being funny as well because obviously spa spa's a prime example of this um obviously lando had a massive fucking accident verstappen i believe had pole position but he still celebrated his pole position and yet, there's a driver in the medical facility. Oh, well, hang on a minute. Let's re-fucking wind, because that's exactly what you guys had a go at Hamilton about. Yeah. Now, you can't fucking come out with this bullshit and then just, you know, think you, you're above that. You know, it's it's absolutely fucking bullshit, and I fucking hate it. Um, you know, I saw the pictures, and you quite right. Verstappen just walks away, and he just takes a cursory glance at the Mercedes and then just carries on walking. And you're like, are you fucking for real? And Verstappen was questioned on this. Did you not feel the need to go and check on Lewis? Mm. His reply was, I could see his hands flailing the steering wheel and the wheels spinning in reverse gear. So, I, I, you know, it's quite clear to see that he was just trying to unstick his car. What if he was having a seizure in that car where he was fitting on the wheel with his foot on the accelerator? And yet, Ayrton Senna, 
who was known for being a fierce racer and would push yeah. you off the track to, to win, stopped his car at Spa because he saw exactly the same. Someone yep. with their foot flat on the gas, revs going yep. to go and save... Um, save their life. God, why am I... Eric Comas. Was it Eric Comas? Uh, it was Eric uh, Eric Comas, yeah, in the Ligier. He binned it, didn't he? It was Belgium. Was it the Ligier? We had, we, we... I, I thought it was the LaRousse. We spoke about it um, Belgium, we didn't we? We did. We did. And now I'm completely... It was Eric Comas, yeah. Yeah, because okay. yeah, he pulled his tongue out of his throat and stuff, didn't he? Because yeah. he had um, swallowed his fucking tongue. It, I, I can't get yeah. it. And, you know, you talk about the Spa incident yeah. recently. And Sebastian Vettel, who, again, could be oh, an aggressive driver, stopping you know and refusing to move on until he got the thumbs up from Lando to say he was okay. Yeah. And this is being, yeah, this is an absolute lack yeah. of maturity from Max yeah. Verstappen. And the fact that this is something... Oh, God, I'm getting on a high horse now and I'm going to rant for a oh, while. No, no, go for it. Bear yeah. with me, guys. This is something that really, really bugs me. Because he's still on his high horse, he's still banging on about it at the Russian press conferences, and he's still being rude, <laughs> frankly, in yes, these press conferences, yes, and saying, I'm not answering this question, this question's stupid. I try to get this into my 10, 11, and 12-year-old kids' heads, that actually the measure of a man is to be able to put your hands up and go, do you know what? I was wrong. Yeah. I apologise. Yeah. I will rectify this behaviour going forward. The the people yeah. who constantly defend the situations when they are clearly in the wrong are immature morons. And linked to that, Christian Horner is vehemently defending Max and sticking up for him as well. And yeah. this to me smacks of, I see this at school gates as well, the parent who will defend their child, who is clearly in the that. wrong. My, yeah. my, this, I have seen my child punch yeah. yours in the face, knock him to the ground and rub his face in dirt. No, 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 you didn't see that. My child would never do that. He's a little angel. Come here. Wake up. Wake up. Yeah. It doesn't help anybody. It creates no. this entitled generation mm -hmm. we need people to take accountability and responsibility for their actions max yes. fucked up max did something yeah. that was wrong he's then continuing to defend why he felt he was right despite being proven wrong and he's just oh i can't stand it he just needs to grow up he was 16 or whatever when he joined formula one and we always knew yeah. he was mature he's not 16 anymore Lando Norris, George Russell, these other guys who were younger than him show maturity beyond his years. Um, beyond and I'm, their own years, you know. I'm really starting to lose the love for Max Verstappen. Yeah. When he first came in, I thought he was exciting and he was going for gaps. And I was, oh, it's like a young Lewis Hamilton. He's really racing. Yeah. And now he's just being antagonistic and he needs to stop or go. I'm, I'm getting really fed up yeah. with it now. Right, rant uh, over. Yeah. <laughs> no, I completely agree with you. Completely agree with you. Um, he's not ever matured from that first point when he came in. That it, that we've not seen that. You know, there's no denying he's a fast and quick driver, but he's just. It wouldn't surprise me that if he did win the title this year, hmm. that it would be his only title win because he's his own worst enemy. I'd agree with that. I would that. say, you know, he's going to be one of these drivers who is, you know, let's, let's, we'll, we'll go way back as a comparison. In some respects, he reminds me of a Gilles Villeneuve who was fast and aggressive, but at times was his own worst enemy when he just went too fucking far every time and would bin the car or crash the car. Um, 
Mm. You know, because let's not forget, Gilles Villeneuve was blindingly quick he and yeah. should have been a world champion. Should have. Yeah. Um, but he wasn't. But there was races when, you know, he ripped wheels off of his cars. And, you know, because he was very much, he was almost like a Colin McRae, do or die. You know, it was pedal to the metal, flat out. We're getting elbows out. We're fucking going racing, boys. Mm. Um, Not sure if I like the analogy well, with Gilles Villeneuve, because I quite like Gilles Villeneuve. I'll tell you who you know, I would... I, I, I still prefer Gilles Villeneuve to fucking Max Verstappen. <laughs> yeah. Because Gilles Villeneuve could race hard and fair at, when it came to it. Yeah, Max can race hard, but he can't do fair. No, he can't. And actually, as a slightly more recent analogy, and potentially more flattering, I'd be likening him a little bit to a young Michael Schumacher. Yeah. Because, let's not yeah. forget, you know, we I vividly remember, because I, I sat and watched the whole mm. race, Michael crashing into Damon at Adelaide oh. in 90... Was it 94? Yeah. It was 94. 94, yeah. Um, when Damon should have won that title. And actually, I really wish Damon had won that title because after the year Williams had had with Senna's death and, of course, Roland Ratzenberger. Yeah, yeah, Let's not yeah. forget that either. Um, I think it would have been a great thing for the team. But that yeah. was that was Schumacher pushing his luck. And I had yeah. completely forgotten until watching the Schumacher documentary, which mm. we can talk about if, if you want to, Um yeah, that he was disqualified yeah. from the 1997 season entirely the same shit. for yeah. doing the same shit really aggressively to Jack Villeneuve. And in the documentary, um, Ross Braun talks about it and he says, Michael walked back to the pits and he was furious. He was so angry because he was adamant that Jack could hit him. And I don't know if that's a, a different mindset or if that's just adrenaline. You know, I accept the driver getting out the car and smacking someone or shouting at someone because the adrenaline's going and I've been in that situation. I understand it completely. When you've calmed down and you understand things rationally is when you make those real judgments. And I think yeah. Michael did come to terms with that, that he was the yeah, one who caused that accident. Yeah. But it was... It was one of the most blatant kind of, he's going to overtake oh. me. There's nothing I can do. You can just see Jim Cross. Fucking like, I think because uh, an interesting thing about that is, um, like, Jack was very lucky to continue. Hmm. Um, because the, the battery that actually powered all the electronics on the car had been dislodged from its fixture. So it was actually inside the car being held on by just the wires. And that's why he backed off. He backed completely off for the rest of the race. Because all he yeah. needed was a fucking a point, basically. you know. Because mm. he was and, leading he was back, when that happened. He or was, he, was, he was overtaking. It was, the battle, the it was the battle for the lead, wasn't it? Yeah. And I'm um, sure Mika and DC both got past him. Yeah, they got past him. And Gerhard Berger completed the podium. Okay. In his final race, Gerhard Berger took a podium for Benetton. Good old um, Yeah, but, you know, you just think, fucking hell, like... If that one wire had come off, that is it. I mean, Villeneuve probably still would have been claimed, like declared champion because Schumacher was obviously disqualified. Yeah, because of the disqualification. But yeah. You kind of when you win a title, you want to do it on track. Hmm. You know, because obviously at the time Schumacher wasn't disqualified until after the race. It's always a nice thing for Villeneuve. He can always say legitimately, "Well, I still beat him on track." You know, he can legitimately say that, and even if he didn't achieve much else after that, he, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, yeah sorry, we, we've digressed significantly. We have digressed um, significantly, but 
Your point stands, though. I, I still think unless Verstappen really matures, he's not going to be this continuous world champion year after year that everyone hopes he's going to be because he's going to let himself down and he's going to let the team down in critical situations. I agree um, entirely. And, you know, just to reiterate the point, because, again, I always had quite a lot of like and love for Christian Horner, and I'm starting to see a yeah, real difference like, yeah. in him now. I'm starting to see some really concerning leadership and decision-making ability within Red Bull, yeah. and it's really noticeable for me that Adrian Newey has stepped away from that role and we're seeing again. these decisions. Because yeah. let's not forget, Sergio Perez finished third on track, but was classified as fifth. Because he made an illegal overtake and the team said, no, 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 don't give it back. Keep going. And we've seen this in a few times where not only have the team made the wrong decision, but they've then argued with the steward oh. before a decision has been made. They go yeah. and have that really aggressive conversation. They even marched into a steward's office oh, yeah, at one point before, yeah. a before, a, uh, you know, before they've even they said they were going to investigate. The, they got told to get out or something, didn't they, at mm -hmm. some point? I'm sure they got told to get out. Um... Because you can't go forcing stewards' decisions. You can't go doing that. The stewards' decisions is, is should be, you know, without the pressure, without the bias. Yeah. You know, that's how it should be. And I feel that kind of Red Bull kind, they, in doing that, they kind of try and force their hand. Yeah. It's, and this is really difficult yeah. because, you know, we both have a friend who works at Red Bull. We've talked in the past about inviting him into this podcast. And here yeah. I am challenging their, their main driver and mm. their team principal and leadership decisions being made. But I will stand by it. I think there's some really questionable decision making yeah. and leadership in that team at the moment. Yeah. And I don't know why or why where this is coming from because no. I don't think this was prevalent in their heyday i don't even think it was prevalent two or three years ago i wonder if some of it comes from dr helmut marco and some of the other yeah. big bods making decisions and christian horner is not feeling comfortable to challenge them because i i do think it is generally speaking the wrong decision to rip a driver out of the car halfway through a season it yeah, destroys their yeah. confidence. The new driver coming in doesn't yeah. have time to adapt and learn. I don't see the value in it whatsoever. It's a knee-jerk no. reaction that serves no purpose. So there's some really odd decision-making going on, and it's not doing them any favours. And if they lose this title, it will be down to either Max's temperament or yeah. poor leadership decisions from the team. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there has been some weird calls. Like you say, like the, the penalties where, you know, jumping across the chicane and overtaking someone. I'm... Any other team is straight away on the blower to the driver saying, mate, give the position back and we'll go again. You know, just let them back at the next opportunity, let them through, we'll go for it again. But to tell your driver to carry on, it's like, what the fuck? You always, that's a slam dunk penalty then. I don't know what world they're living in. It, it kind of tarnishes what is for all intents and purposes a really exciting season this yeah. year um and it, it is the tarnishing thing that is on it now obviously we know dr helmut marco is in his position because he's really close with dietrich mataschitz whatever mm. you know um and it's quite an interesting one because obviously he does have the, the you know the final absolute on any sort of driver decisions all that kind of stuff which is very weird way of running the team because I, I still believe and maintain that that should be entrusted to the team principal yeah. to have that overseeing arc 
not having like so many different managers in all charge thing all at the same level that just it doesn't work it creates awkward tensions and obviously in helmet's eyes mm. he you know for all intents and purposes max is his little project his little baby and you know he's gonna be protected and unfortunately the number two that goes in that team is always going to be the one that fucking has to face the music i can see why danny rick wanted out yeah i get it oh 100%. you know um it makes it so much clearer to see why certain drivers were like like even even weber weber stuck it out for a long time um mm. alongside their first protege you not know? bad for a number two driver yeah exactly it, so i mean well see it's interesting actually because now you flag that up there were some really poor decisions and leadership choices being made then because Mark is a great driver. Probably he's up there for me yeah. with Rubens Barrichello and some of those other, and Felipe Massa, yeah. great drivers that should have been world champions and weren't. Um, 2010 should have been his year. He should have won that title. But... Absolutely. And there were yeah. some really questionable on-track decisions from Seb. You know, I did not like Sebastian Vettel as a driver back then. Yeah. I think we've both warmed to him significantly over the last few years. Um, but again, those decisions were defended by the team, and Mark felt ostracised and out as an outcast um, to the point where he ended up leaving F1, frankly, prematurely because he was still fast. He was still ready for he, it. He was still achieving some, you know, some great results. Um, you know, he was still as sharp as ever. You know. Um, but it seems where we talk about leadership of teams as well, um, the sort of that mixed dual team principle and decision making between Christie and Horner and, and Helmut Marco. If you look at some of the other leading teams that have been through those drastic changes of leadership, they've all fallen by the wayside. Two great examples: McLaren. You know, McLaren were Ron Dennis for years and years and years, and then they went through a yep. number of changes to to Martin Whitmarsh, um, who was the old Renault guy they had. Eric Boulier, oh, Eric Boulier. came in, yeah. and then there was someone else came in whose name oh, I can't remember the other guy's name. There was another one who came in as well until eventually Zach Brown came over and appointed Seidel and gave them some stability, and they've moved forwards from that. And then the uh, the other team that comes to mind is Ferrari. Ferrari yeah. went through a, a phase of changing team principles oh, every year. Every year, yeah. Um, you know, and they're umming and in about changing again, aren't they? Um, because of their fluctuating thing at the moment. You can't keep on doing it and expecting instantaneous results because no matter what the next person takes over, he's going to be dealing with whatever was left from the previous one anyway. Yeah. Um, and that's always going to take time to change. You're going to need to go through recruitment processes. Obviously, if you're going to hire from rival teams, you've got to go through a cooling off period. You can't just bring them straight in um, because of all the, you know, the, the secrecy and all that kind of stuff. Because obviously what we don't want is another spy gate. Fucking mm, God forbid. Oh, God, no. Because that was that was awful. Um, yeah, I really liked uh, Arriva Bene. Maurizio Arriva Bene. Yeah, I, know, and I, I liked him as well. He was proper old school, you know, old school sort of leader. Unfortunately, you know, very typically Italian. Yeah, very typical <laughs> Italian. Um, like I said, you could always find him, and he would have because um, he used to smoke, didn't he? He yeah. was a smoker. They would say, you know, you'd find him in the motorhome first thing in the morning, 
and he'd have his espresso and a cigarette <laughs> and you just knew and you don't disturb him in that process that is his morning time you don't fucking you don't go up and disturb him i'd like to oh, think there was also two uh, semi-clad blondes in the bed with him from the night oh, before different ones each week yeah as well. different ones different <laughs> ones each week you know and he's got his like guys in the black suits and shades outside standing guard on the door you know fucking mafia style <laughs> i oh yeah i'd rate this guy he's probably got like an old style James Bond-esque wooden yacht or something yeah. built in 1960-something. Yeah, he's living the dream, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, um, he is. yeah. But uh, interesting, you mentioned uh, a name there, Martin Whitmarsh, who obviously we're going to see a lot more of now in the F1 paddock. We, um, oh, he's back, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, he's back. He's head um, of some role in Aston Martin. Uh, the, the role eludes me. Oh, here we go. Um, so... It's kind of it's it's a really interesting way that Aston Martin are doing this. So they're basically changing their model now. So obviously they've got the new factory being built on the old Jordan ground um, to go alongside the current facility. They're getting a wind tunnel put in and all this kind of stuff. It's quite exciting developments from Lawrence Stroll really, um, with the aim of obviously within five years they want to be contending for wins and titles. That's mm. the aim. I I like the ambition and. The fact that he's investing in the infrastructure first and foremost is a fucking amazing thing because we get so many teams coming going, yeah, we're going to fucking, we're, we're, we want to be winning in five years, but do nothing with their infrastructure. Mm. Whereas Lawrence has come in, he's increased the employee like count, he's, you know, he's recruiting people in the different positions, and now they're getting a brand new facility, which is fucking awesome. I've seen the, the I don't know if you've seen the plans drawn up for it, but it looks incredible. And so part of that change is obviously Martin Whitmarsh has joined. Um, I've just got the article up now to uh, think. So he's actually going to be heading up the secondary sort of McLaren. You know, you had McLaren, you got McLaren Technologies. Yes. So it's a very similar thing. So we've got Aston Martin, the, the racing arm, and now we've got Aston Martin Performance Technologies, which is what Martin Whitmarsh is heading up, um, which is quite an interesting thing to see that they're kind of taking that mclaren approach it's almost like they want to be mclaren <laughs> um, <laughs> there are worse people um, want to be yeah there are uh, to be honest you know what there's a lot of people in the aston martin project that i i rate i like otmar Safnauer. i think he's yeah. a great team principal um yeah i think he's awesome um it'll be interesting to see how this pans out for Aston Martin. They're obviously serious about going racing in Formula One if they're investing in this. Because let's not forget, yeah. it wasn't until Lawrence Stroll brought Aston Martin that they were on the verge of going out of business. So it's a massive t turnaround in a short space of time. So yeah, let's see. Let's see what happens. I, um, I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued as to about mm. how this will go. Now, don't get me wrong. So his official role is CEO of Aston Martin yeah. F1. <clears throat> Now, I'm sure, as as a leader, he he's got a great business mind, and he, I'm sure there are great things that he can do to keep that company running. And you know, when I think of leadership, I tend to think more about leadership in the workplace. You know, I'm a big fan of, of uh, Simon Sinek's TED talks and books. In fact, I've got oh. his on the go over here, and uh, yeah, things yeah. along those lines. So there's there's you know that's part of leadership for me. Sporting leadership, I tend to think slightly differently, and I think actually a lot of it comes from those 
imposing leaders who know their own mind, know their own vision, and they they don't want to bring you on the journey, which is what they do in business. They want to find people who agree with them and are going to join them because they believe the journey without you having to convince them of it. Um, yeah. And if you look at people like um, Toto, Toto Wolf. Yeah, Toto. Yeah. It's very rare Toto Wolf is lost for words. He knows what he wants yeah. to say. He's clear yeah. about it. And Christ, you would not want to cross him. Go back even no. further and look at people like Ron Dennis. Again, mm -hmm. you would not want to cross Ron Dennis because he'd give you the full-on hairdryer treatments. But he knew exactly what he wanted. And he didn't ever shy away from saying something because he thought it would be controversial. Martin Whitmarsh, when he was um, the lead and CEO of McLaren Racing Group, I always got the real feeling from him that he was unsure of himself and he would shy away from, um, you know, uh, getting yeah, yeah. in someone's face and being controversial. And sometimes you, you get that with people when you hear the ums and the ahs. You know, you'll have heard this yourself. You and I tend to speak. We know what we want to say. Sometimes we slow down. Sometimes we fall over our words, but we get through what we want to do. Whereas other people are those kind of, well, um, I, you know, um, we went to, um, and you think, oh my God, if you say um one more time, I might headbutt you. Yes. That yeah. for me is Martin Whitmarsh. Yeah, so, that's... I'm intrigued. Yeah, and, and let's not forget, he was in charge of McLaren when they started their downward trend in hmm. some some regards like they had a few they you know they had a couple of half decent seasons um but yeah. it all started to really fade to shit um under his leadership and obviously well, then we obviously endured a bit of a brief ron dennis comeback before he then got overturned and hoofed out the fucking door yeah well, so he was team principal between 2009 and 2013, but the last time McLaren won a Formula One world title was 2008. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. He presided over the start of the downturn to McLaren well, that just got progressively worse. The 2014 car would have been designed in 2013 when he was at the helm. Yeah. And the 2014 car was shit. Um. <coughs> You know, and the 2013 car wasn't much cop either. What did that have? That had like 2013 car had Jensen Button and Magnussen on the podium at the season opener, and then fucking nothing else after that. Mm. That was it. Um, yeah, shocking. Um, shocking. I, I don't know. I, yeah, <laughs> it's a bit of a weird choice for Martin Whitmarsh. Obviously. I get why they're trying to look for people with experience of F1 and all that kind of stuff. Is he the right fit for some project like that? Uh, I don't know. Maybe if he just sticks to the business side of it rather than yeah. leading everything. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, I don't know. And, you know, I mean, who else, in theory, who else would be available? I mean, mm. in if you wanted to pull pull a great team principal in that would give you a great chance of winning a title. For me, there's only one man, and that would be Ross Braun. But there's no way in hell any Formula 1 team on the grid is going to get Ross Braun to come out of retirement and be a team principal again. He's quite content in his role as deputy chief exec of Formula 1 or whatever, or yeah. you know, Liberty Media, whatever it is that he's doing. Yeah. And I can't think, apart from Ron Dennis, who again is not going to go anywhere other than McLaren, and yeah. with everything that's gone on, I very much doubt he would come back to McLaren either. Uh, I can't. I can't think of another team principal oh, well, that would pick it, it up. The, the other, the other standout team principal for me before those 
would be the current head of the FIA, Jean Tot. I, yeah. You, you know, he was he's a man, another man that knew what he wanted, and he made it happen. It was very much a case of you know this is his vision, this is where he's going with this. Uh, you know, he and he presided over the most successful period in Ferrari history, um, yeah. which is no mean feat. You know, that's that's fucking amazing. In fairness, with Ross, yeah, they were shoulder yeah, to shoulder oh, yeah. throughout. It that. was the dream team, absolutely fucking dream team. Um, you know, everyone involved in that team at that time. It was just, it was a beautiful. Thing. Looking back, obviously, we were fed up with Ferrari win, Ferrari win, Ferrari win, Ferrari win as a spectator. But looking back, it was a beautiful thing to see a team in such synchronisation for such an elongated like space and time. And I largely think, in years to come, we'll look back and think, fucking hell, Mercedes, that period of domination, like, which has, you know, has now been longer than the Ferrari's five years of domination. We're, mm-hmm. we, you know, we're, we've gone through a whole engine era with Mercedes just dominating that entire period yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> and you know uh, a lot of that comes down to the relevant leadership and i do yeah. i do highly rate toto in that regard yeah. and equally what made me think about that more was when toto made it quite clear that he wasn't here for the long haul and you know once he once he'd had his lot he was going to move on and he sort of indicated next year maybe the year after he's not sure but he's ready to move on whenever that that for me was I felt sad at the thought of losing Toto from the yeah. sport, but equally the fact that he's like, this is, you know, I've reached this part and this is great. Yeah. This is amazing. And I'm now the best in yeah. Formula One, but I want to go and do more. I want to go and do something else. So I was like that, but that what, that's what makes him a great team principal yeah, because this isn't the pinnacle yeah. of his career. He wants something else and it doesn't, he doesn't want it to be an F1. He wants yeah, to be the hunger doesn't stop. Yeah. He's, he's achieved everything a team principal could want to achieve in Formula One. Let's 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 not beat around the bush. He's he's done fucking wonders. Um Yeah. And I have no doubt he'll be successful in whatever he does. Oh, you know. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. The only other one of course that stands out for me as an obvious choice is Sir Frank Williams. Yeah. Um I mean there's it's you're not gonna get Sir Frank in a in a team principle of any any car on the grid and he wouldn't come back to Williams and I equally don't think he's healthy or well enough to be able to do so. Um, you no. know, the, those those days unfortunately are well behind us. Mm-hmm. But you know, what what a great leader he was. Even even to persevere after a life changing incident that you know had the same happen to me. I'd like to think I'd be as proactive and positive as him. In reality, I'd probably wheel my wheelchair into this room and never fucking leave it again until I die. <laughs> you know. <laughs> it, 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 the man's the man's yeah. a living legend. Absolutely, he is. He is an absolute legend, and I, I rate him. I, all-time F1 legend, all-time F1 hero. You know, um, those days of like you know those sort of principles. There, the, you know, the long, long gone now. We're into like kind of Doralton Capital and overseeing sort of consortiums. Yeah. That's where we are with F1 now. We, you know, the, the days of your backmarker teams, like outright backmarkers, I'm talking, you know, you, the ones that no matter what they do every year, they're going to be a good five to six seconds a lap off the pace. You know, yeah. the, the, the ones that muddle through, those are, that era has gone, you know. We yeah. had a brief, we had a brief comeback of it with HRT and Caterham, but look, yeah. at, look how long they lasted. Oh, 
well, a handful of seasons. Think about the success that Jordan had. You know, Eddie Jordan yeah. creating his own F1 team from the, the ruins or the remnants and the phoenix of the ashes from what he was doing in F3. What yeah. does interest me, though, you know, because obviously I, I like sports in general. I'm a, I'm a football fan as well. Yeah. Generally yeah. speaking, 99% of football managers are former players. They might not always have played at the pinnacle of their career. So Jose Mourinho, as a great example, was never a leading star player for his no. club or country, but is one of the most successful managers yeah. of all time. Whereas yeah. other managers, you know, like Pochettino and, and players like that have played and played very well. It doesn't work that way in Formula One. I was just thinking about the list. I can think of Jackie Stewart. I Thank can think Lauda. of... Well, but Nicky Lauda was never a team principal, was he? He yes, was he like... Was. Yeah, he was. Jaguar. Was he? He took over once. Once, once Stewart sold the team to Jaguar, he was appointed team principal by Jaguar. That's interesting. I always thought he was like a senior advisor. I never remembered no, as a team principal. He was, he was team principal for a while, and it okay. didn't work out. <laughs> <coughs> no, well, no, it didn't. But yeah, I mean, the yeah. only ones I could think of would be um, uh, would be Prost and Jackie Stewart, uh, yeah. and you know, neither of them did anything markedly amazing. I mean, obviously, Frank Williams was a driver in some way, yeah, shape, or form. Yeah. And I so mean, was Christian Horner. Christian Horner was. <laughs> because Total Martin... Wolf, Total Wolf did do some amateur racing, sort of like low yeah. level. He didn't really do any sort of... He would. He never made it up the, you know, the ladder. And in fairness, I'm forgetting Bruce McLaren in all of this, oh, who wow. was a heroic driver, who was amazing. But yes. nothing recently, you know. Michael Schumacher didn't think about coming back as a team principal. Um, right. I'm trying to think, Nigel Mansell didn't think I'll step up and take over as a team principal. But I'm sorry, yeah. I'm going to have to go back to it because it's one of my favourite lines I've seen in, in years and years and years of watching F1 walks. Was Christian Horner saying to Martin Rundle on a grid walk, "You were never oh, fast yeah. enough to win here, were you, Martin?" And as quick as a flash, Brundle turned around and went, "That's right, I wasn't." You were never quick enough to make it to F1, though, were you? Or shame you weren't quick enough to make it to F1. Just absolutely yeah. amazing. It's obliterated in there and then on the spot. It was fucking beautiful. Yeah. I, oh, I, I love, love Martin Brundle. Actually, it. I'm going to take a quick sidebar here. Something, Ooh, okay. something has really worried me this year. You might know something about this. I've tried researching it and I've really I've come up short in all of my, yeah. my efforts. Yep. Martin Brundle has missed a number of Grand Prix over the last two or three years because we've had Paul DeResta, Karen Chandock and, and others yeah. and Jensen Button this weekend. stepping yes. in. Um, and there's a few that I knew he was going to miss. He'd said it ahead of time. So I knew he wasn't going to be at one of the Austrian Grand Prix because he had travel restriction issues. Uh, he announced at some point via Twitter he was unwell and wasn't travelling to one. But now he seems to be missing more and more. Yep. And I can't find any online explanation to say okay. why, other than I worry he's slowing down and thinking about stepping away from it at some point. I don't think that's the case. And my case in point is, so I follow both him and his son on Instagram. Now, all of these triple headers... Um, Unfortunately, a clashing with a racing series that has made its comeback that uh, he is now racing in alongside his son as a duo. 
Okay. Um, they are both racing in the uh, the the revival, the classics series. They've they've been racing together in that, doing the classics races. Okay. Um, they usually hit, you know, like the ones they race at Goodwood. Mm-hmm. Um, that's he's been. I've, I've been viewing the um, been viewing the Instagram stories, and that they have been testing a Jaguar E Type, which they are both going to be racing in again so he's um he's kind of in a sense he's kind of returned to actually actively racing okay so it's quite nice and he's racing with his son who as we know is also a commentator now (laughs) he just sounds like mini martin it's amazing do you know there's been times when i flicked on the f2 and i've gone why the fuck is martin brundle commentating on the f2 and then then, then i twig and i'm like oh no this this is alex (laughs) Okay, that makes me feel a lot better because, you know, he's not that old. And I know that as Murray Walker started getting towards the end of his career, he cited, I'm too old to be getting on a plane and flying to Japan and Abu Dhabi and Australia for these races. So, you know, he started only doing the French and the British Grand Prix and things that were short hops for him. But, you know, I understand. He was an old man. He lived to a a good age. I was really worried that Martin was losing the love, losing the passion maybe unwell and just wanting to step away from it and that would be a shame because no yeah i i, I my dad hated murray walker absolutely loathed his commentary really? my, well my dad hates commentators in general my my old man bless him records match of the day every saturday and watches it on sunday and the reason he does that is so he can watch the highlights and then fast forward through all the talky bits <laughs> so he's always hated commentators he just wants to watch it and you know i, I get that and respect it for his, yeah. his own reasons i liked yeah. murray i thought he added something to it but you can uh, the right commentator can either make or break your viewing experience and martin martin for me is the perfect balance of enthusiastic clear in what he's saying with a great understanding that comes from actually experiencing it and having that knowledge of driving a car yeah he's lived it he's and he's raced for some great teams as well you know benetton uh mclaren McLaren, I mean, the thing is, I'd like to think, you know, maybe we'll try this one weekend. I'd like to think you and I could sit and commentate over a Formula One Grand Prix and do a pretty decent job of it. But even me, would I rather listen to myself or would I want to listen to James Hunt, Martin Mm. Brundle? Maybe I I was going to say Paul DeResner, but actually I might rather listen to myself than Paul DeResner. My most underrated commentator... Ben Edwards. I, I like Ben Edwards. Which one was um, Ben Edwards? He's the channel. He was the Channel Four guy who took oh. over Channel Four. Um, oh, I didn't enjoy I, him as much. You see, Ben Edwards was fantastic when he commentated on BTCC back in the day. He he he, he had that excitable element to him. One that I do really rate as a commentator that is coming up. Alex Jakes. I, I fucking I rate this in Alex Jakes. He currently hosts the Formula One esports, but also every now and again does commentate on the Formula Two. And he's a great fucking commentator. He really is a good commentator. Um Okay. And there there's a few others as well. Um uh, W you must pay attention to WTF one. Yeah, from time to time from yeah. time to time but obviously Matt Gallagher who does their YouTube content um, he 
he started life out as an F1 YouTuber. That is how he started out. And he had this series on his YouTube channel, which was called X Matty G. That was like, yo, yeah, that was his thing. And he he start he got into this whole presenting world and all this kind of stuff by hosting Matty's Rage Kitchen. And okay. the Rage Kitchen was his like like we we're doing now it was his podcast like rundown of the f1 grand prix that had happened and it was fucking brilliant and it was brilliant and then when he announced on youtube that he was leaving to go and actually start his dream career as an f1 journalist and commentator on various things it, like I've never seen such an outpouring of it. And as soon as WTF one like came to creation, everyone was chucking in the comments going, "Where's the fucking rage kitchen?" Da, da, da. <laughs> it was just brilliant. But he's now he's then since doing just little things like that, he's now commentated on Formula Two races, Formula Three okay. races. He he's part of the the team that hosts the F one esports leagues. He he's he's gone on to be quite a big bloke really in kind of the f1 journalism world um i would love to get there one day but you know the thing is it's about having that that confidence in the person and their knowledge and ability that comes with it you know i think so i don't keep my ear to the ground and i'm not that close to knowing who's coming up as an up-and-coming commentator and what have you it's not something i've ever researched but the the expertise around it and who i would consider you know as an ex-driver or someone picking up that that role you know alex brundle is is brilliant in the He's same great. way his dad is yeah i i like jensen i think jensen's i like great i think he's done a great job i yeah. prefer jensen to paul de yeah i like yeah. anthony davidson i think he's done a good I like job. he's great with the technical stuff like the the bits he does on the side i i think he's great at that that's yeah. kind of his element kind of he goes along quite nicely with Karen Chandock roaming around, sort he does. of getting like, all of his stuff. Yeah. I like Karen Chandock, I do. Yeah. But I suppose one thing I need to be aware of, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you something that might upset you. I know oh, you're a little bit younger than I am, but this still might upset you. I need to be mindful of, you know, because I miss people like Johnny Herbert being around. But yeah, yeah. Johnny, you know, has been retired for a number of years, and whilst to my mind that might not be that long ago. As you know all too well, Steve, things that I think were only yesterday are actually 20 years back. <laughs> and what someone yes. told me recently, it was two things I've heard this week alone which have really scared me. One is yesterday, so today is the 26th of September, 2021. It is, it is now, yes. Yeah. Yesterday, uh, oh yeah, so actually I'm going back two days now, aren't I? The 24th of September, 2021, was the 30th anniversary of the album Nevermind, by Nirvana, which came out in 1991, 30 years ago. That that worried me. The other thing that someone said to me, which really bugged me, is that the film Back to the Future. We all love yeah. the film Back oh, to the Future. We love Back to the Future. Yeah, great trilogy. So, the first film, Marty McFly takes the DeLorean and travels back in time from 1985 to 1955. And of course, you know it's so different. They're in classic cars. It's a different world the 30 year gap yeah so it's 2021 today if you did the same journey and went back 30 years you're going back to 1991 i remember 1991 and i remember 1991 quite clearly thank you very much it was practically yesterday 
So I I do need to keep in my mind, you know, that that time frame that's gone by, and actually yeah. new fans coming up and watching this now probably know don't who know who Damon Hill or Johnny Herbert is. Mm. They just don't. Well, I I would say they probably have some idea as to Damon Hill because he's always mentioned in like historical terms as a world champion. Johnny Herbert. Yeah. Just you know, a, a race. You know, he raced with some teams. He had a, he had a few wins. But in that respect, yeah. Martin Brundle. I mean, I'd, I'd have to look yeah. up the stats to confirm this, but my gut tells me Johnny Herbert was more successful in terms of race wins and points than Martin Brundle was. I don't think he did it on points overall. I know Johnny had three race wins because um, he had two for Benetton and one for Stewart. Martin Brundle never won a race. Exactly. He had a, he had a good handful of podiums for... I I want to say he had some podiums for Ligier and he had podiums for McLaren. Um, I think he probably had about twelve podiums. Yeah, I'm one would suspect that. I'm not going. going to be... that I mean, he raced from 1984 till 1996. To sit here and add up every point he earned would oh, probably take yeah. me. Well, actually, no, yeah. it wouldn't take me that long because he was racing in the day when you only got. Uh, points for the first six places. Six positions. Yeah. So you didn't get that many. Uh, whereas same Johnny... Johnny yeah. raced in the same era. Yeah. Absolutely. So Johnny raced from 1989 till 2000. Um, but yes, yeah, so we had a win. So we had two wins for the Benetton in 95, um, where he partnered Shumi, of course. One at Silverstone and one at Monza. Was it Monza that year? Italian Grand Prix held yeah, at Monza. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then his last win came at the European Grand Prix, which was run at Nürburgring in a Stewart in 1999. So, yeah, yeah he won three races. Whereas yeah, he Martin, he had a few, I can see a few third places in here. I can't yeah, see any yeah, I seconds. Think best, I think his best, yeah, he did for McLaren. I'm sure he had some for McLaren. Oh, he had one the, second place for McLaren at Monaco yeah. and one in the Benetton at Monza. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. The, the guy can drive, and he could drive a Formula One car, or frankly, any car, well, far better I mean, than I could even dream of he, doing so. But He currently holds the record, doesn't he, for being um, the person who's driven the most different Formula One cars in their lifetime. Oh, um, well, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, he, he did jump teams a bit. Yeah, he did, um, but also all the stuff he's done since retiring from driving, so Goodwood and all that ah. kind of stuff. Um, and then obviously all the Sky Sports stuff. I think it's something like ridiculous. Like he's driven 47 different F1 cars, something in that ballpark. Okay. And yet he still keeps on being invited down to drive more of the fucking things. <laughs> well, I mean, when you think about it, that age that he was in, yeah. 1984 till 1996, gives him a really interesting breadth of cars that he drove. So the beginning yeah. of his career was early Cosworth V8s. Yeah. Then he drove those monsters, the one and a half litre V6 Renault turbos for the late 80s. I mean, they were absolute oh, animals. Yeah. Then he went back to things like the Judd V8s. He drove the Yamaha V12 in the Brabham. Yes. Then yes. another Ford V8. Then he was the Renault and Peugeot V10s, the Mugen Honda V10 and another Peugeot V10. So he drove across a, a, a wide variety of engines in that era. Yeah. Nothing in the modern hybrid era. He's um, driven the Mercedes with the modern hybrid era. Well, sorry, not, uh, yeah, not I competitively. Competitively, yeah. 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 But, I mean, it's an amazing achievement because uh, Seb Vettel, um, 
I, I always remember they did Sky did a thing when they first got the contract for the, all this kind of stuff. So when Seb was at Ferrari when Sky got you know, mm. Sky was doing all their big push with F one content. And they sent um Martin down to is it Fiorano or wherever it is. They sent him down there anyway. And um Seb asks he turns to the camera crew and he goes, How old is this guy? Mm. And and they're like, Oh, he's like what is he now, sixty something? And 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 62. and Seb, sixty-two, and and Seb. So this is just this is only a couple of years ago when Seb's at Ferrari, and Seb turns around. And he goes, he goes, wow. He goes, I hope I'm still able to, you know, get invited down to drive F1 cars at, when I'm his age. And it's like, and do you know what? Fair fucking play to the lad. Six sixty years old, he's still getting himself in those cockpits, and he's and he and he's still able to put a car around a racetrack. I, I love it. I think that's he's a gem. He is a gem. He is. Um, and it will be a shame if we do, you know, lose him from presenting. But yeah. he is, in terms of the commentary team, like Sky have really invested a lot in him. He is kind of always marketed as their main commentator guy. Obviously, you've got Crofty, but Martin was always the face of it. When they brought Sky F1 channel out, Martin's face was fucking everywhere. Well, so um, I was trying to remember, if memory serves me right, he picked up commentating when Formula One moved from the BBC to ITV for its live coverage and part of his sort of spiel and what he did was he introduced the gridwalks they didn't do gridwalks in in the way that Martin does them now and now if you look at the difference if you go back and watch Martin Brundle's coverage for ITV in sort of you know 96 97 whenever it was might be a bit later than that in fairness um and see how empty the grid was in comparison to what it looks like at a modern race now it's unbelievable you know he was yeah. the progenitor of that no one that yeah. had thought about this no exactly he he and and because he was fresh off of the f1 grid wasn't he at the time he kind of had he kind of still had that access where people would talk to him from the teams you know he had a great rapport with everyone in the paddock yeah uh, and it was awesome because he was able to then just start trying these things out and it fucking worked and it was great because you're on the grid you're in amongst all the action getting the driver's final thoughts you know and all that kind of extra detail mm. and now look at it every tv station has a grid walk every single one you know and it's a main feature of any racing series now to be honest um you know you even get it on btcc where you get them running down the fucking grid and you know and it's just for that to have cascaded beautifully across the motorsport world yeah fair play fair Absolutely. play to that he's he, you know he was a great driver you know i, I won't yeah. necessarily put him in the category of you know well, one of the greatest to have never won a title one of the greatest to have never won a race certainly yeah um, certainly um and let's not forget him and johnny herbert have something in common they both had massive accidents that fucked up their ankles yeah and you yeah. just think, if that hadn't happened, because let's not forget, in Formula 3, who is the only driver to go toe-to-toe with Senna? Martin Brundle. Martin Brundle. Yeah. yeah absolutely. And then he, had his, then he had his accident, and it was such a shame. But yeah. These things happen, you know. Um, they do. It is what it is. You know, we, we don't know what the <coughs> alternate reality would have played out like, but I, I, you know, I imagine we would have had a fucking stellar career for brundle without it well, was mm. same for johnny you know um shall we have a look at the current obviously the current driver lineups there's only one seat available 
Um, I think I think we'd better go through that for the viewers because obviously a lot has happened with the driver market with mm. confirmations and contract extensions and all this good stuff. Yep. Um, so obviously, one of the main ones, the worst kept secret in the paddock was obviously Mercedes. <laughs> you know, Lewis Hamilton has a contract until the end of 2023. So yep. he's got two years on his contract. Is it 2023 is that... or is it 2022? Yeah, it's, it's been, it's been, he has got two years, he's got end of 2023. That's what I've got here confirmed. So hang on, uh, this, hang on. This, I'm this just thinking about this one. though. Because the current season is going to be 21-22. So the next season is going to be 22-23. So his, his contract might only be for one more racing season, would be my thought. It says end of 2023. Hmm. So that'll be two more seasons. Because you have 22 and 23. Okay. Will that be the last two years of Hamilton's career? Well, I would think so. Oh, possibly, yeah. Unless he's George still Russell. leading the pack and still loves what he's doing. Well, this is it. George Russell's gone to Mercedes. He's just been declared as multi-year contract. Um, obviously, they're not going to give away their entire hand. Um, so, yeah, the, the, you know, the change there, obviously, Valtteri stepping away from Mercedes that um, I, I think he's had his fair crack at his time at Mercedes, old Valtteri. Um, time for a change up. And let's not forget, you know, George's racing this season is really, again, another driver that's really flourishing this year. Um, becoming Mr. Sunday now, to be honest. He's not just Mr. Saturday anymore. He's becoming a pretty well-rounded package. He is, very much um, so. I can't wait to see what he can do in a big car. But then, you know, technical regulation change, you can end up in a shit car. We, uh, it's a risk. Yeah. Um, obviously, Red Bull sticking with Verstappen and Perez. Perez's contract is up at the end of 2022, so he's got one year left on that deal. Um, which I know Helmut Marco's already chatted some rubbish about how Perez is a stopgap for them. Um, and... I think that's so disrespectful. Yeah, do you know what it is? I do not like Helmut Marco. I think he's, to be honest, he's quite a disgusting human being with how he is. Because he, he also, when he was asked about, okay, well, if Perez is a stopgap, who's coming up? Because Sonoda's not not performing. Um, and, <laughs> already knocked you know, Pierre Gasly on the head a few times. Yeah, exactly. That's it. And then they mentioned Gasly, and he goes, oh, well, you know, Pierre will only be at Alpha Tori for another year anyway. Um, and then we'll have to review his situation within the Red Bull infrastructure. Um, I, I've already got ideas as to what will happen with Pierre Gasly. Um, I'll, I'll go through that after we finish this round out, um, but I'll come back yeah. to him. Um, so, yeah, a bit disrespectful towards Perez because he's a handy driver and I think yeah. he's still got some good years left in him, to be honest. 100%. 100%. Um, McLaren, obviously, status quo is maintained for another two years with both drivers, Danny Rick and Norris, retained yeah. until 2023. So we've got another two years of those. Good to see it. Um, yeah, really good to see that. Um, I rate that. Aston Martin have done one-year extensions for Vettel and Stroll. I mean, why they do that for Stroll, I don't know, because Stroll's not going anywhere. Stroll's going to be there until the end of time. Well, or until Dad gets bored and sells the team. <laughs> um <laughs> Seb Vettel, obviously in his twilight years, I think, as well. Much the same as Hamilton coming into the final couple of years. I, I think um, next season will be make or break for Vettel. I think yeah. if the car's competitive and he's challenging for points, he might stay. I think if the car's yeah. uncompetitive and he's not up in the at the sharp end, I think he might call it time. Yeah. I don't think it'll be end of end of his racing career. 
And no, he I'll might try his something. hand at Le Mans or rallying or Dakar yeah. or something. But I think that might be time for him. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree. I agree. Um, it's just a shame we're stuck with Stroll because I think you could put a much more capable driver behind the wheel of that car and get more out of that, to be honest. Um, yeah. Like I say, he has flashes of pace every now and again where he's just like, well, where's his fucking... You know, he's pulled that out of the bag. Mm. But again, he's not consistent. Like, yeah, he won the Formula 3 title, but that's years and years ago now. He's been a bit all over the place. Um, Alpine... Esteban Ocon, obviously, there for the long haul. He's going to be their number one, um, I think. Um, and Alonso, obviously, staying for another year. I think that'll be Alonso's last. Probably. You know, Probably. He, he's he's going to see the team through this technical change. Ocon, by then, you'd hope would be stepping up. Um, I know he had his win, but that was kind of a freak, a freak race where he's... You know, he's, he drove well. Let's not take that away from yeah, him. He drove he fucking brilliantly. But we don't see that enough from Ocon. Um, no. But yeah, so Alpine sticking with the status quo. Ferrari, we all know about Ferrari. It's Leclerc and Sainz. Yeah, of course it is. Um, Tori, we've already discussed those. The Chaps, Gasly and Sonoda. Mm -hmm. Alfa Romeo, possibly going with a completely new driver lineup. Um, so they've got obviously Valtteri Bottas coming as the team leader because Kimi retiring, the god that is. The legend. Um, the man, the myth, the legend. Yeah, and quite interestingly, the second seat obviously is the once up for discussion because obviously Giovinazzi, the option is there for Alfa Romeo to extend Giovinazzi. However, what's his name? Is it uh, Cedric Vasseur or whatever his name is? I can't think of his name. The chap that's in charge of Alpha, I think it's Vassil, um, or something like that. Yeah. Um, he obviously wants to assess based on results. Yeah. In fairness, in the races, Gio's not producing the results, so I can't. I just can't see him being retained. I just, I'd be surprised if Gio is retained in that seat for next year. Now they keep on touting. Gang Zhao, the Chinese driver in Formula Two. They were talking they're about now the, saying, the money yeah, you bring. They're saying thirty million now. Yeah. Interesting. I was reading an article uh -oh. just just this evening by Mr. Vasur, and he was asked about um what's his name, Zhao from Formula Two. And prompted with the, you know, thirty million pounds is a lot of money. I wouldn't turn it down. Yeah, what what can you say about this? Interestingly, he turned around and said that is complete and utter speculation, and I call that value of money that he can bring to a team absolute bullshit. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And that was his direct words. That was what he was quoted. It's bullshit. I mean, I like that. Don't mince your words. Yeah. So uh, um... the, the only thing that's got me about Guan Yu Zhou going over to the team is my understanding was he was a Renault development driver and in the Renault yes. scheme. And as we yes. know, Alpha is a Ferrari junior junior team mm -hmm. with the Ferrari mm -hmm. engine. So I'd always assumed Eilat, Schwartzman, they were more likely to get that, that drive. Now, I've just done a quick Google to say who's still in the running for this seat. And yep. what they seem to suggest is Robert Dornbos is is a possible. 
Gran Yuzo, obviously we Robert, know. It's sorry, possible. Robert Dornboss. Yeah. Yep. Interesting, <laughs> I know. Um, Where the fuck has he come from? I don't know. Be... He's been out of... How long has he been out of F1? Oh, mate, I couldn't even tell you. A long old while. He last raced in F1, I am pretty sure... Because he, he raced for Minardi. I know he raced for Minardi in 2005. And then he had some sporadic outings, didn't he, for the Red Bull property. So he, hasn't when, raced, you know, they, he hasn't raced in Formula 1 since 2006. Is that when they kept on swapping him and Chris Clean in I the bloody Red Bull? Which is oh. now making me think I might not trust this article too much. But, you know, so what they're saying is Dawn Boss is an outside. Gran Yuzao, Giovinazzi, obviously. Um, Alex Albon which we know is not going to happen now. That's not going to happen. Um, this could be an old article. The other candidate they mention, which I wouldn't have expected, but is an outside shout, is Nick DeVries. And the reason yeah, I think that yeah. is I think he was more likely to go to Williams. I mm -hmm. still think what we're expecting here is a Ferrari junior driver. It's clearly not going to be Eilot. No, so, he's signed his deal, so we know where he is. So that makes it Schwartzman or is it... David Beckman was he the other one? Oh uh, yeah, David. But then David Beckman's had funding issues this season as well. Um, so Beckman is currently thirteenth in the driver standings. He's because he's missed some races due to not having any money. And the Ferrari Academy notoriously does not pay for your race seat. Oh. So although you're part of the Ferrari Academy, they do not cover your racing expenses. Okay. Which is obviously explained why. John Alacy had to fund his son's racing career by selling his Ferrari F40. Yeah. yeah. Now you so... see, there, there's there's another driver that I would like to see considered, and that is Oscar Piastri. Obviously, the guy that's actually currently leading the Formula Two Championship. Yeah. Um, I because I'm a big thing of you know because obviously if he wins the Formula Two, if he does win it, if he is the champion, the rules stipulate that you cannot then compete any further in Formula 2 because you've you've done that yeah you you're the champion so why do you need to do another season of Formula 2 I get it but yeah, then it's kind sense. of like where, then it's like well where does he go because obviously whilst all this is going on and you're fighting for the last seat on the F1 grid which you're not part of their driver academy hmm. IndyCar are currently obviously already sorting out their drivers yeah what the fuck do you end up doing for a year do you go and do Formula E Ugh. I mean, ugh. some have done it, or go over that's to Japan just... and do some Super GT or or yeah. DTM or something different. But that's just fucking no. It shouldn't be like that. If you're the champion of Formula Two, it should be, you should be getting the fucking nod really um, over these yeah. other fucking chumps. But there has to be a seat available. There's more Formula Two cars, I believe. There's more Formula Two cars than there yeah, are there Formula is. One cars, and we yeah, know people you. like Lewis aren't going anywhere, and Max and what have you. But also, yeah. don't forget, there's the the older brigades that are still knocking on the door for a mm. seat, you know. We've seen Kubica come back. No one had expected that. So I'm just reading another article that lists know, another but... name. Now, yeah. I'm all for promoting from within. I'm all for giving youth the chance. Equally, I'd love to see this guy back in a car and have an opportunity again. Nico Hulkenberg? Nico Hulkenberg. Mm. See, now, I, I, there was an interesting article on him because apparently Gunther Steiner, this is uh, this is one of Gunther Steiner's amazing fucking ideas that he's come up with. So he's come out with and said, 
Yep, we want continuity. That's why we've stuck with Nikita and Mick. Okay. All right, Gunther. But then he turns around and he goes, but I'm really lacking an experienced hand to really develop the car. Yeah. Okay. You can't have both. You're not, you're not helping yourself right now. So Gunther's come up with this genius plan. So, his proposition, this is, I, I, I don't know what world Gunther lives in, but it's fucking brilliant and I want to be part of that world. He's proposed to Gene Haas that they come up with a new way to operate their driving styles. So, he wants an experienced driver as the reserve driver. Okay. The two drivers on the list, on the shortlist so far, is Kevin Magnussen to come back as a reserve and Nico Hulkenberg. Now, what, he pro what he's proposed is that at every track on the Friday for the practice session that one of Mick or Nikita will have to take it in turns at each track to give up their Friday practice session to put the experienced driver in the car to give him basically the time to assess the car and then it says it then allows me to directly compare Mick and Nikita to an experienced driver as well in terms of their lap times I'm like okay okay I see the I see some logic and some semblance behind this plan would it not just make more sense to put an experienced driver behind the fucking wheel full time <laughs> yes um... you know, let's 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 just change the contracts let's send Mick to Alpha let's just move him to put Nico Hulkenberg in the house I would I would prefer that I think that would be a yeah. much better direction for Mick yeah that's what I would prefer because I think he'll get he'll I think do you know what I know Bottas has been all over the fucking shop, but I believe that Bottas would actually be a very good mentor to a new driver. I think, just with how calm he is all the time, I think I think Bottas would be a good mentor. Not necessarily a team leader, but a, man, a mentor. A mentor. See, I'm not I sure, because of the I've... the deep finishness within him. I think he just might be a bit yeah. reserved and introverted and not necessarily I there. I, I, I don't see Bottas as a Kimmy. I... I, no, no one's a Kimmy. You know Kimmy was his own. Yeah, yeah, Kimmy's his own fucking entity, his own species. Yeah. Yes. I, I, I'm so glad the world is blessed with the spawn of Kimmy. I think that's going to be <laughs> fucking amazing. Like, can you imagine when they come through? That's going to be amazing. <laughs> um... But yeah, but yeah, but sometimes though, he's too soft for his own good. Um, but yeah, he is. So yeah, so that, that's the only seat really, because obviously Williams is Alex Albon, and Nicholas Latifi. So Latifi yep. continues on, which did surprise um, me. I didn't see Albon in the running for the Williams seat. It's so left field. And then what's his name? Christian Horner's then come out and said, "Oh, but we've retained rights on him for 2023." Mm. I would like my cake, and I'd like to eat it too, please. Yeah, exactly. So, so what are you going? What, what are you saying then, Christian? You're saying that you're going to retain Paris for next year, turf him out, and depending on how Alex Albon does, bring him back into the fucking fold. Mm. No, and if I was Alex Albon, I'd be very fucking wary of that, because look how Red Bull messed around Danny Kvyat. He was wow. gone. He was back. He was gone. He was back. You know. Ugh. Yeah. It's just a it's just a Red Bull thing, isn't it? It's just just Red Bull all over. Seems to be. Seems mm. to be. I mean, I go back to what we were saying. I don't think I would advocate or be keen to see Kevin Magnussen back. I think no. that would be the wrong choice. Equally, I think bringing Roman Grosjean back would be the wrong choice. Yeah. <clears throat> because I think having 
having your existing Haas drivers who you've given your faith and put your faith in to drive the car, seeing last year's drivers back as the test driver potentially usurping you feels wrong. Someone from outside yeah. the team who hasn't been there before with a wealth of experience like a Hulkenberg, like a Robert Kubica, I could kind of see that. And I think if you are putting your faith in these young drivers to go forwards and, and deliver the goods for you, but you need that expertise, it seems a sensible yeah. way around it. Yeah, I yeah, I think that I see what he's thinking. I see what he's thinking. Mm. Obviously, I think what what you may then get problems with is Nikita's dad being like, "Well, I've paid for my son to race, da 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 da. So why should he have to give up his seat for the X amount of times?" Mm. I think there'd be some conflicts there. And then would you then possibly have Ferrari getting on your case saying, "Well, he, you know, mix our." youth driver we need him to develop to really see if he's going to be worth a shot in the you know the big big team mm -hmm. you know and then you're taking away seat time from him how is that helping him develop da, 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 you know it's an interesting dilemma for teams because obviously we're so restricted on seat time for drivers in the course of a season out you know outside the grand prix yeah. that you your reserve drivers or test drivers as they used to be known don't really do a lot like they just mainly sit in a simulator, which obviously is nothing like the real thing, really, when you boil it down. No, it's not. And this is why car drivers have been so keen to go and do things like the Pirelli tyre testing and what have you. Yep. Um, and, you know, I, I do understand the limits on it. Part of it is obviously cost and part of it yeah. is fairness across the board. Because if you're Haas and you can only afford two tracks per season to do anything, or you're Ferrari and you can be out on your own test track that you've already built every yeah. day there is yeah. a lack of parity between the two but I, I think banning all testing together feels wrong even if it was just you may test you may have one testing session per month during yeah. the racing season something. or something yeah something like that would be quite good you know it, it, it's a shame because obviously you know like i said as well like fans used to be able to go along to the testing yeah. like you know for cheapest chips, if you couldn't afford to go to a Grand Prix race weekend, for for what twenty quid, you get in and go and watch the guys test all day. And you know, okay, it's not racing, it's not particularly massively exciting, but you're still getting to watch your heroes in Formula One machinery going around the racetrack. And not that it's as important now in the turbo hybrid era, but certainly in the V8, V10, and V12 era, you could listen to them because it oh. was it was a treat for the ears hearing an F1 car screaming crap. screaming yeah. its tits off down the, the back yeah. to the hangar straight at Silverstone yeah it's yeah and it, that's a sound that will forever be missed um you know still stand by that um obviously we're we're at Sochi now which is Indeed. you know probably the last time this track is on the calendar I would say because we're going to that other one St Petersburg I believe isn't it yeah somewhere around there Igor Igora Drive something like that a new track it looks okay no nothing really standing out about it for me I'll be honest I no. just no it's another Tilkadrome yeah, um, I mean, it's a street track, isn't it? Uh, no, I think this is a purpose-built facility, this one. Igora. Oh, really? Igora Drive, yeah, yeah. So let's move to Sochi to Igora Drive. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, look, I mean, looking at the pictures, it looks like it's being purpose-built. Yeah. Okay. See, apparently it's got some incredible elevation changes, though, throughout the lap. 
which elevation changes do make some interesting things especially if it affects the camber of some corners um but yeah, yeah well, I'm just on... looking at one of the pictures actually, and you can see some fairly pronounced elevation changes on a on a Google Maps image yeah. of the circuit. Yeah, so I mean, what I feel again, I, it's another frustrating weekend for me personally for Russia because we're treading that line with the wet weather again, mm -hmm. and yet again we had practice sessions delayed cancelled because it's raining and all this kind of stuff and i get we have a line between what's acceptable what's not yeah. but the track is never going to get any better if there's no cars out on the <laughs> fucking track <laughs> nope. you can send the safety car around all you want but it, the safety car has different compounds of tires on it's a road car it doesn't distribute the water away from the track at the same rate as a you know pure bread wet weather tire i think we're getting close to being in that si horrible situation you remember like the american racing went where they just wouldn't race in the rain yeah no that's it you just no if it rains no race we're treading a fine line into that now because you get the team dot the, the drivers going oh it's too wet out here and it's like yeah it's because it's raining Mm -hmm. It happens. Uh, yeah, it happens. I mean, you know, I remember some of the best races we had was in absolutely fucking torrential rain. Some of the real crackers, you know. And that was in an era where F1 was less safe and we still went racing. Yeah. You know, we still we still put the cars out there We and we, we had some great races. You know, we had some surprising, like, orders. You know, I still remember... Fucking Yoss Verstappen of all people being at the sharp end in an orange arrows in torrential monsoon at Malaysia, you know, uh, and a Yano truly wildly spinning off the racetrack in the Jordan at the hairpin. It mixes things up. It's always equalised oh. the field because yeah, yeah. Formula One has never, never had a lineup where every car was capable of winning. It's just never been no. that way because the yeah. amount of developments that's going into the car yeah. or what have you. So mm. it's always the rain has always been the great equaliser. Yeah, and I think we, you know, we miss out on some of it because they wait until the track is got barely any water left on it anyway. When they do send them back out, and they go out and on then, inters rather than wet. Yeah, they go it's... out on inters. I'm like, well, you've got a fucking full wet compound there. Why have we not gone out on track sooner? Like, what's going on? Um, but the, you know, like today, it was delay, delay, delay teams went out there straight away on intermediates right okay so what what about the wet compound of tire that's just been sat in the fucking garage and could we not have sent them out sooner you know got the session underway mm -hmm. obviously it's an interesting one to see how how this is going to play out because obviously Verstappen and Leclerc are both starting on the back row because they've had new engines yeah because um, Honda have brought their what's rumoured to be their final major upgrade to the engine. Um, these are apparently these are improvements that were meant to come next year for 2022. However, they've brought them forwards to assist Red Bull in their title challenge. Mm -hmm. So Verstappen's gone with the new engine. Leclerc's gone with the new engine. Interestingly, Sainz hasn't. He stayed with the old spec engine in the other Ferrari. Um, and I think Perez has got the old spec engine in his Red Bull as well. I think he's just going to wait so. for his natural engine change to move to the new spec. Yeah. Um, so 
I've had a look at the weather forecast, and lo and behold, the rain for tomorrow is now forecast to be pure sunshine. Yeah, it's going to be a race. Yeah. Now, the one I feel for in all of this is Mr. George Russell, who's put in a stunning wet, wet performance to basically plant his Williams third on the grid, as he always does, only for the race to now be fucking dry. Yeah. Uh, my heart breaks for him. <clears throat> I can. I, I mean, the difficulty for me is you've got to predict what the start's going to be like, and anyone yeah. can get a great start or bog down, get real yeah, yeah. etc. My in my heart, I can see Lewis getting the jump on George, and I can see Danny Rick getting the jump on George. But equally, I can see George holding up Fernando Alonso for a good eh, twelve laps. <laughs> oh, okay. Fuck it up. Well, guys, just remember when we come back after this race yeah. you fucking when it when it isn't 12 laps you blame him for losing your money at the fucking betting shop yeah absolutely. um yeah it, the, the problem with george he doesn't usually have the best of starts off the grid no not necessarily he doesn't no um he is the driver that has lost the most amount of places on the opening laps yeah. in grand prix that is usually because he qualifies the car in such a high position the car on race pace is a different it's a different animal when it's loaded up with a full tank and it's like oh off you go mate um yeah i i love that lando's on pole though lando and science on the front row i mean you couldn't make it up the bros the two lads like uh, amazing I, I, and just how it, how exhilarated Lando was on the radio as well at the end of the session when they were like uh, yeah that's P1 mate that's pole <laughs> uh, just fantastic absolutely fantastic um, yeah I, I kind of felt like though there's a few experienced hands that didn't perform as well as I thought they would in that session you know, with all the experience, Seb Vettel missing out on Q3 again. He did. Where where Lance has made it through, you know, he's scraped through. You mentioned Lance, obviously, uh, did have a shot at pole position at one point, uh, which is fucking terrifying thought. <laughs> um, it's, it's always what happens in changeable conditions. Um, I think, you know, in Q2... It was George that dived into the pits and put on his last and only remaining set of fresh intermediates, which lots of people will have been thinking, well, no, I'll need these for the next session. Well, yeah, absolutely. But if George Russell gets through to that session using those inters and pushes you out and you don't get to race at all, <laughs> then you're knackered. So, you know, it was a clever call by George and it paid off. And equally, when we got to that final qualifying session, it was, it was so clear the dry line was appearing. Yeah, George made it. that jump, um, and you know did a great job. And then of course I, I'm going to have to talk about Lewis, aren't we? Ah, uh, do you know what? That is his worst qualifying session I have seen. How he 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 made but, contact with the barrier twice. Well, he? he did, but so what got me was Lewis came into the pits to change for the slicks in reaction to George and seeing the times that he was doing. When he came into the pits, George had com completed one lap, but Lewis was still pole. Lewis was still quicker yeah. on the inters than George was in his first flyer in the wet. And then he just lost the back end. 
and yeah. banged it against the wall. I thought he was going to get away with it. I saw them take the front wing off, and as they lifted it away oh, from the, the car, it just <laughs> flapped. It's like, right, yeah. okay, that was done. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, they were pushing him out of the way. I was like, what the fuck? But of course, Valtteri yeah. was coming in, and they yeah, wanted yeah, to get yeah. him out as quickly as possible. Then I'm sure I saw them push Lewis into the garage, into his box, presumably because they wanted to check the track rod ends and make sure he hadn't, you know, put any serious suspension damage into the car. And then, of course, coming back out, he I don't think he had enough laps to get those tyres up to temperature because no. everyone else had was to keep doing on, two or three. Yeah, and he had to keep on hopping out of the way, didn't he, for him? Um, so you're taking your dry tyres onto the damper parts of the track. Yeah, and he went slower. He went slower. Um, yeah. You know, and not surprised to be honest. I'm really not surprised. No, me um, But the way I've got to say, the way George handled it though, because he was slipping and sliding all over the fucking place that first lap and a bit, but he handled it and he persevered with it and got the rewards for it. Um, I think the Williams crew were celebrating about as much as Lando Norris's crew were for bloody pole position. <laughs> <laughs> That Williams are going to miss him. They are going to miss him. When oh, he's hugely. Gone. You know, hugely. he's he's going to leave a massive void because him and Latifi work well together as a pair. There's no none of that sort of horrid. There's none of that Nikita Mazepin, Mick Schumacher atmosphere between them two. Mm. They're just professionals going about their job, you know. And it was very clear that they were there to try and turn Williams's fortunes around both of them they were all they were both 100% in it you know focused on what they're going to do and the team has kind of rallied around those two drivers and they're, they're doing wonders and you know with Seidel whatever his name is and Zach Brown at the helm that little package has been working little wonders at the moment and I, I, I just worry I just worry whether Alban is the right person to be filling that slot so I like Alex Albon. Oh, I, I like Alex. I think yeah. he deserved more of an opportunity at Red Bull and more support mm. from them. He showed some great stuff early last season and some then of the lost confidence. Was brilliant. Yeah. yeah. You know, he lost a bit of they were showing they were showing one of his overtakes in the highlights here of last year when he was playing catch up and he come hammering up behind Giovinazzi in the second DRS thing where it kind of curves left and then you go into that sharp right under the bridge. Yeah around and Albon went right around the fucking outside of Giovinazzi in that corner and I was like the guy can fucking overtake because he done it around the outside at Mugello turn one as well let's he not did. forget you know the the guy can overtake he um, can, but he's he's sort of in the same way we talk about team leaders he's not a team leader he's not necessarily a team leader he's a young he's a young pup yeah I don't think he's got the experience to be a team leader I like well, I think it, Nick Latifi has more seasons under his belt than Alex Albon does. Yeah. Yeah, he does. He does. So, I mean, in a sense, the continuity <coughs> for Williams is, is Nicholas Latifi. It is Latifi. The, the worrying moment for me will come for Albon, whether he goes into that team and then he doesn't outperform Latifi. Exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. Um, if and it's he's a on concern. The, yeah, if he's on the plateau or if he's below Latifi, I think that's his F1 career done. Yeah. I don't see it recovering from that. Yeah, and I, I mean, he's, he's already proven he can win races in GT cars. Maybe that's his future. <laughs> Quite <laughs> you possibly. Know, 
Ah, uh, yeah. There is something else I want to touch on, though. And it was you mm. who pointed this out to me. So I missed the end of the first qualifying session because I was oh. too busy dealing with my children. But Nik um, are we going to talk about Nikita again? Aren't we? Yes, we are. Because yeah, I've got yeah. I've got some very specific numbers and stats in oh, front no. of me that I wish to share yes. with you and the viewers. Yes. So. Yes. Uh, let's just have a quick look through. We'll just pick some names at random. This is all Q1. Forget Q2 and okay, Q3. Q1. All right, all right. So, uh, Lando, who ultimately put the car on pole at the end, he was a 147.2 in Q1. Q1 Lewis, okay. who topped that session, was a 145.9. You know, really ringing everything out the car. Yeah. Um, other people around. So we've got Seb Vettel put in a 147.2. Charles Leclerc did a 148.4. He was 15th. And then we start wow. getting down to the meat. So Mick Schumacher in the Haas did a 149.8. He was 17th. Of course, last 20th was Max, who didn't set a time. Um, yeah. 18th was Antonio Giovinazzi, who we know have a shocker, with a 151 yeah. flat. 19th, Nikita Mazepin. 1 minute 53.76 four Dokken. he was nearly he was four seconds slower basically than his teammate now what gets me because we also had this discussion earlier today about the 107, 107. cent rule oh, oh. so oh, yes nikita mazapin put in the time of 153.764 the 107 percent time was 153.4 so he was slower then the 107% time. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, we have to do some digging to check this out. So the 107% yeah. rule was live from 96 to 2002 and was then abandoned and then came back in 2011 and is still active but does not apply to wet qualifying sessions. If it is a wet qualifying session, the 107% rule is abandoned. She's essentially what saved him here. Absolutely, 100%. 100%. Yeah. Although, and the, I think the caveat to that is, I'm looking here, I've got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. 23 drivers since 2012 have fallen foul of the 107% rule and have been allowed to start the race because their pace proven over the race weekend in practices was yeah. quick enough. The last one of those was Lance Stroll this year at the French Grand Prix. Um, wow. But equally people in there, I mean there's names in there that we would expect, people like Rio Harrianto. Oh yeah, Mana, yeah. Jolian Palmer, you know, some of those yeah. guys. But equally Sergio Perez, Max Verstappen, Danny Ricciardo. There's a whole load of people at the Hungarian Grand Prix that fell foul of this in 2016. Um, Carlos Sainz at the Texas Grand Prix in the Toro Rosso. There's a few. But the last drivers to actually not be... I'm actually saying that. Since 2011, four drivers have not been allowed to race because of falling foul of the 107% rule. I won't ask you to guess because we'd be here all night. But they Narain were... Narain Kartikeyan. Narain Pedro Kartikeyan. De La Rosa. Yes. There's two. Actually, well, okay. no, there's three because Narain Kartikeyan was... was Twice fell foul of it. Oh, so was he? Got, yeah, you got one more to go. Um, I want to say someone like Lucas Degrassi or something like that. Not in the list, I'm afraid. No. Oh, can I think who else drove that shit wagon? 
otherwise known as the HRT. Yeah. The hormone replacement therapy car. Fuck you. Fuck's sake. Yes, that one. Um, would you like... Do you want hints? I know Cleon drove that car. It wasn't Cleon. But he was quite quick in that car. Oh, there was someone else who drove that car that year. Danny Ricardo? No. Because he drove that shit heap. Uh, go on then. Give me a hint. Give me a hint. What hint can I have? So I'll, I'll give you a couple of gentle hints. So the year's 2011. The Grand Prix is the Australian Grand Prix. This Italian driver was quicker than Lorraine Carter-Kayen, yet still fell foul. Sorry? Liuzzi. Vitantonio Liuzzi. Vitantonio Luizzi, indeed. Yes. <laughs> so those are the only... The, well, I'll say four drivers. It's three, because it happened twice to Lorraine. So Lorraine Carter-Kayen twice, Pedro de la Rosa and Liuzzi are the only drivers who have not been allowed to start a race since 2011, yeah. having fallen foul of the 107% rule. <laughs> there was many more before that, you know, going back... Um, yeah, a lot of Minardis, I'm afraid, in here. A oh, I know, 40s, yeah. A few 40s mentioned. Um, yeah, Pacifics. LaRousse. Uh, no. Him. No Pacifics. Oh, no, because Lotus went bust, didn't they, and it, saved them, basically. Yeah. Well, Pacific was 94-95, and the 107% rule came into play in 96. Mastercard loader as well. Let's not forget them. It, but again, that's earlier. No, Mastercard loader was ninety-seven. Really? Was it? Yeah, they turned up at Australia with fourteen seconds off the pace. Oh no, no, you're right. Yes, Australian <laughs> Grand Prix Lola um... with Ricardo Rossi and Vincenzo Sospiri. Oh, yeah, such names. Such legends. There must have been a rule before this as well, I'm sure. Like, a, you know, maybe it was a 110% rule or something, I don't know. I've always known it as the 107. But I'm sure yeah. there was something before 96 that would stop people. Yeah, they were, well, they had, like, pre-qualifying and stuff like that to, to yeah. get out, get rid of a lot of the weaklings, you know. Um, yeah, it's, in, it's an interesting thing that F1's had over the years. Um, obviously... We haven't done a driver rating thing in quite some time. We We've only really got Monza to do a rating on, because I'm not going to do Sandfort, because why should I? So I'm going to bring that on here, and I'll, I've kind of locked out your face now. Oh, all, for the best, mate. Oh, well, there we um, go. So, have you got the finishing order... Uh, well, actually, we'll just go through the drivers for as best we can remember. To be so honest. I do From have the finishing longer. order. I mean, obviously, there's certain things I'll remember and certain things I won't. But No, of course. So, obviously, we had... Um, well, uh, Lewis Hamilton's the first driver on my list. <laughs> what? How are we classifying again? Well... So we've got insane drive, good drive, average, underperformance, or rubbish. Okay. Lewis, I think, goes down as an average. It was a very average weekend for him. Yes. I think yes. I think he could have gone on to score some solid points. So I wouldn't cut him down as underperforming, but average. Yeah, I'll go with that. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's go to... 
Bottle Bottas, Grief, we'll do it team by team. So Bottas, who finished P3 in the end from 19th on the grid. Obviously, two of those positions were courtesy of specific people. Was he 19th on the grid? He was. Did he have a penalty? Yes. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um... So I want to say third place is an average, but if he's come from basically last on the grid, you'd have to put that down as a good drive. Yeah, I think it's a good drive. Yeah. Yeah, because he's had to get past the other Red Bull with Perez, the Ferraris. Yeah. Yeah, it's a yeah, good drive for Bias. Well, well done. But he didn't get past the other Red Bull with Perez, though, did he? Because he would have finished behind Perez on the road, and Perez falls beneath him because of the penalty. Oh, I see. Mm. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, yeah. Well, whatever. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's fourth place. <laughs> but yeah, so Max Verstappen then. Let's talk about Max. Uh, Where are we placing him based on, on his... Full on underperformance. Full on underperformance. Yeah. It, was, yeah. it wasn't It was a good weekend for him. It's never going to be a great weekend for the car because I don't think it's a power no. track car. We always said that. But yes. he made some daft mistakes. The team made some terrible mistakes in the pit stop and, and decisions elsewhere. But yeah, full on underperformance. Yeah, and Perez teammate. I'd call that poor rather than underperformance. Well, what? Hang on, how are we classifying it? No, it's a big. You got, you got you got average underperformance or rubbish. Okay, so sorry. I want to make Max rubbish, and I want Sergio as an underperformance. So Sergio did a better job than Max. I think is what I'm saying. Yeah, okay, yeah. All right, um, so we'll move away from the top two teams. We'll go to uh, go to our McLaren boys. Uh, Lando oh. Norris. Oh, abysmal. Yeah. <laughs> trash. Yeah, trash ab driver. Absolutely trash. Lando and Danny, I don't know what the hell they were playing at. Oh, yeah. Oh, come um, on. What, what, what are we yeah. going to say? They were outstanding, the pair of them. They're outstanding, yeah. Both of them up there. Danny Rick, I think, the... Uh, there because he also had fastest lap as well let's not forget yeah on um, the last lap of the race as well on old yeah. tires yeah he only took it by point one three of a one five point one five of a second that's mm. all he point zero one five of a second sorry fucking hell um ferrari we had leclerc in fourth and Sainz in sixth in the end so I'm slightly torn here. My mindset is based on Ferrari's current performance and levels. Both of those would go down as a good performance. Because it's in front of the Tifosi at their home race, I suspect they would consider it an underperformance. But if I'm being realistic, based on the, the actual performance data of that car, I think they were both good drives. Yeah. Um, okay. So... I'll go with the next highest team in terms of finishing position. That's going to be Lance Stroll for Aston Martin. P7 for him. Yeah, it's it's a it's a decent performance for Lance. I'd, yeah, I'd, for him, yeah. I'd consider that good. Yeah. A surprising turn up for him, to be honest, because I didn't really expect it from him. Hmm. Um, well, obviously, teammate Seb was P12 in the end. Yeah, which, which but he feels... had car trouble though, didn't he? So 
does. Yeah, I mean, I'd I'd yin and yang a little bit here between an average or a or a slight underperformance. It was. I think he could have done better. He probably could have done better because he only he did only qualify eleventh as well. Let's not forget that. So he mm. didn't didn't make the cut to Q three. Probably underperformance. In, well, for me, underperformance anyway. Yeah. Um. Okay. Next on the list, uh, Fernando Alonso, P eight. Fairly average, I would have said. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and Esteban Ocon was P10, so they both scored points. Yeah, again, that feels like an average drive. The Renault engine's not known for being the most powerful on the no. grid, so again, it might not be in the track for them, but fairly average considering recent performances. Mm. Yeah, um, obviously the last of the point scorers was Mr George Russell in the Williams. Yeah, so actually, yeah. I'm, I'm going to score both the Williams in one. I think they're both good. I think George did a better job, but I think Latifi bringing that home in 11th in front of an Aston, both the Alphas, etc., I think that was a decent job. Yeah, he kept them at bay. Um, yeah. Again, it's just a steady performance from Latifi. He is consistent. He's not spectacular in any shape or form. So, He's interestingly... Just, just a, and, you know, if he's still listening, because mm. we're like two and a half hours in. Hi, Fergie. Um, Fergie has has challenged me a few times on my thoughts on Nicholas Latifi. And since he has started challenging me, I have noticed that his performances have got better. I don't yeah. know if that's in direct reaction to George. I don't know if the car is just getting better and he's getting more comfortable in it. He's still not as good as George Russell. And I still don't see him as a team leader. But he's definitely improving. Yeah. Or maybe the catalyst for his improved performances is he's heard your views on him. Maybe right. that's what it is. <laughs> maybe that's what it is. Yeah. Um, You're welcome, okay. Nick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There we go. Uh, so the next team on the list is going to be the Alfa Romeos. So Gio in right. 13th and Kubica in 14th. So I'm going to be slightly controversial here. Oh. Antonio Giovinazzi, average. 13th place. I mean, bearing in mind there was five Rich, retirements, yeah. you know, it, it's there or thereabouts what I'd expect from an alpha. I expect them to be the team above Haas battling with Williams, so average. Robert Kubica, good. Yeah, I think he's handled himself well. Yeah, the fact that that man can jump into a car with little or no experience of the car and being out of Formula 1 for such a long time with the injuries he's got, fair play to him. Yeah. Um, for the sake of the thing, we're going to have to use Kimi Raikkonen's picture. But for today, that's that's Robert Kubica. Um, yeah, so the next classified finisher was Mick Schumacher, last of the classified finishers. Um, in P15. Yeah. He, I, I he struggled. Got, he got dicked by his fucking teammate, which didn't help his cause. He did. I mean, he might have uh, taken... He might have pushed Robert a little bit more and taken him to the sword if he hadn't have had those incidents but it's about where I expect a has to finish but, but then when you look at the lap times so the fastest lap time of the Alphas was Gio with a 125.7 and Kubica did a 125.8 the closest Mick got was a 126.7 it's a full second off the pace of that Alpha you thinking it's a poor performance in comparison? No, I don't, no, I'm just saying I don't. I just I don't. I to be honest, even with Nikita Putnam, I don't think he would have held on to the back of those alphas. No, maybe not. Uh, 
Obviously, Nikita was the first retiree. <laughs> uh, I, I guess that's another rubbish drive by Nikita, I, to be honest. I, I agree. I agree. I think yeah. retiring or not, the the damage that he caused by being a dick to Mick Schumacher. Yeah. Poor performance. Yeah. Um, it leaves with the Alpha Tori boys who had an absolutely disastrous race in essentially their team's home Grand Prix. Yeah. And of um, course, wasn't it? Was it last year that Gasly won? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so obviously, Sonoda binned it lap one. Um, did he? Did Sonoda actually start? I'm sure, he started. It said he started from fifteenth on the grid. And uh, it says Gasly started from the pit lane. So interestingly, you and I might be looking at different things here. So I'm reminding myself of the race classification from Wikipedia, and I have a note here that's saying Yuki Tsunoda Sonoda did not start the race. His place on the grid was left vacant. What happened with him? Don't know. The listing here says brakes. An issue with his brakes. Ah. Okay. Well, if he didn't start, I can't really get. Can't really fucking judge him then. To be well, honest. so here's the awkwardness. I because Pierre and Yuki. I mean, Pierre Gasly did three laps. Yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah. Oh, in, uh, actually, in fairness, no. I was. I'm going to change my mind. I was going to say. I was going to say they were both average, and I would say the team was the underperformance. But actually, no. Pierre had a really difficult weekend because he went off at Curva Grande in the sprint race, and oh, the sprint race fucked him, didn't it? it yeah. Did. Yes, yeah, yeah. I remember now. So I'm going to say Yuki was average. Pierre Gasly was poor. It was a poor weekend from him. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, though, the, the Curva Grande thing, you just. I didn't really expect that. Uh, it's from the obviously the contact he made in the first part, where he fucking he bumped the back of the car, didn't he? Whoever mm. it was, and that was completely his own doing. He just went in too yeah. hot. Um, yeah. Ultimately, I wing. think. Yeah. Ultimately, I think the damage he's then done to the car after that is what's fucked him for the proper race. Um, which so is, I don't think that they've managed to repair the car properly, have they? Which is something managed... we need to consider as a risk for Lewis tomorrow. Well, see, my my thing is obviously he's gone back out after banging the ball with such a clout. So obviously that's that's the driver's ratings anyway. So we'll we'll minimise that and get rid of that. Um, let us know in the comments if you agree or disagree. Um, please note that I've just noticed that the template is by Jeff. So if it's as good as Jeff's pit strategies in F1 2021, then it's a load of shit. Um, <laughs> the thing is, obviously, we now got a dry race forecast for tomorrow. Yeah. Which is a complete change from what we were expecting because obviously we were expecting the rain to continue, da, 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 which means the cars would be travelling at a slower pace, not using the curves. Now that it's dry, hmm. the car is in Park Ferme right now. Yeah, that, that's that's yeah. where his Mercedes is. If there is any sort of subliminal or underlying suspension damage to that car, with it being dry, the drivers are going to go back to clouting curbs and all that kind of stuff. We do potentially see the risk of a suspension failure on that Mercedes. Yeah. It's a possibility. It it's happened before. It has happened to drivers before, you know, when they've done it. Let's let's look at um, Charles Leclerc when he had stuck it on pole for Monaco, mm. binned it, yeah. and they'd done some checks on one side of the car and gone, yeah, fine, we'll replace all those parts. But really it was other parts as well that were affected that then failed and let him down yeah we we could see like you're saying it is a risk we could see it happen for hamilton where he has issues in the race where 
the damage starts to come through to the forefront and we end up with him saying oh, I'm going to have to bring it in because shit you know hmm only time will tell we'll have to wait only time will tell yeah absolutely because obviously the grid then for tomorrow is if we go through the qualifying order so your grid for tomorrow guys is a last part of this uh, Landon Norris obviously on pole with Carlos Sainz in second uh, Russell Hamilton second row Ricardo Alonso fifth and sixth Bottas and Stroll seventh and eighth Perez and Ocon ninth and tenth Vettel and Gasly 11th and 12th Sonoda 13th Latifi 14th then we've got Leclerc and Raikkonen although Leclerc will now be starting at the back in 19th so it's going to be Raikkonen and Mick Schumacher Antonio Giovinazzi and Nikita Mazepin and then we've got Charles Leclerc and Max Verstappen forming the last row of that grid um, I I would be interested to see how Leclerc and Verstappen deal with getting past the rolling blockade of Mazepin and Giovinazzi off the start. <laughs> That's... I've seen how Giovinazzi handles opening laps and it doesn't go particularly well. So... It doesn't. But you never know, they might start Max in the pit lane, give them a great well, opportunity and then let them pick up the pieces when Mazepin and Giovinazzi yeah. take each other out. <laughs> Uh, they, they might try and do a Leutzi, you know, launch it down the inside at turn one and just skittle everyone in front. Possible. And then we end up with Nicholas Latifi winning the race. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Proving his world champion credentials. <laughs> no. Um, it's going to be an interesting race tomorrow. I'm looking forward to it. Um, hopefully, we get a good race. Um, it's been a, we don't, we've not really had any particularly outright exciting races at Sochi, so hopefully this one changes things up a little bit. But yeah, we'll see. We'll see. It totally depends what the weather actually ends up doing hmm. as to what happens. Um, I just hope Russell can hold on for something. I want him to get something from this race. He'll get points. It's just how many points he gets. Yeah, yeah. Because right, I think he's got enough nous about him to to be able to haul that car up there because um, I mean Latifi is 14th for Christ's sake and he's usually a step ahead of Latifi by a little bit so yeah, maybe ninth or 10th place for George somewhere around there we'll I don't know what's your what's your predictions for the race win though tomorrow that's the question oh hmm <laughs> It's, I'm, it's a really tough one to answer. It is a tough one to answer. I'm torn. Because I would love to say Lando Norris. I would, I would love to say it, but... I, so, I'm... I think there's three drivers in the running for me. Okay. There's Lando. Yeah. There's Lewis. Yep. And I wouldn't rule out a sneaky, amazing drive from Bottas. He's won here it, before. Yes, he has. Um, he's got nothing to lose and nothing to race for. He he's my he's my wild card. In in order, I think what's most likely is I think Lewis is likely to win. Lando is your second best because I think he's going to be a tough cookie for Lewis to get past. And if Lewis can't get past him, and he cooks his tyres, I think Lando will have it. 
and my wild card will be Valtteri. Okay. Yeah, I, th I think okay. signs will go backwards. Signs will probably be around sixth, somewhere around there. Yeah. But yeah, um, it would be interesting to see. It'd be interesting to see if your prophecy of Hamilton car woes comes to fruition. Join um, us again next time, and we'll find out. Yeah, join us uh, for the post-race rundown of of Sochi, where we hopefully we'll have a lot to talk about i'm hoping that it's not going to be a washout and we get some good racing so yeah i don't think we have too much more to touch on obviously if we've missed any talking points that you really want us to talk about fergie we're looking at you make sure you uh drop something in that uh, comment section below because um, we're always happy to see other points of view and engage in that so let, let's let's get involved in some discussion about where this is going for the second half of the season Indeed. um yeah um and I then for me yeah well so the last thing i just wanted to mention was it's so depending yeah. of course on where you are watching or listening to us we are available on multiple platforms now so if you are listening to us as an audio podcast we are also available if you want to see our ugly mugs we are on a video podcast on youtube under the name pulsar paddock pulsar, pulsar fire, fire paddock <laughs> podcast and if you are watching us on youtube and you would prefer to listen to us as an audio podcast and i've got to be honest just listening is probably better than seeing this um we are now available on spotify on google podcasts on breaker pocket casts and radio public oh well there we go um mr pulsar man has been busy <laughs> <laughs> um yeah um like i say just tune in um find us if you want to drop stuff like suggestions probably the youtube's comments section is probably the best place for that at the moment yeah whether or not we set something up in the future depending on how it goes um but yeah um that's probably going to be it for now i think we're caught up enough to guide us into this next part which is the race um and hopefully you know we'll get some further announcements about this bloody alfa romeo seat yeah um yeah it would be nice so from me then that is going to be a thank you very much for listening and tuning in um take care and i'll see you after a race somewhere soon John over to you and yeah the same from me thanks everyone for, for tuning in and listening I hope you enjoy the content and uh, we'll see you next time guys take care bye bye <laughs>